Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. I'm Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and joining me as always is Adam Zeller aka Ridgetop, Eric Adams, Xenomorphine, Omega Morph aka David. And welcome to the podcast where nerds are paid by Disney to either be far too positive about a product or far too hateful about a product. There is no middle ground. Yeah, have you been enjoying those checks, Aaron? Well, I was going to say, before we actually start talking about the film, I want to know what you're doing with that Disney bunny. I'm personally in talks with studios to get a copy of Feral's Masthead for Reverence. Yeah, I wanted a spear gun. I was going to put it on my wall. I replaced the light bulb. Okay, well, Eric, as always. Yeah. And, and I want a copy of <laughs> Feral's Unmasked Head to do what they do in the Conjuring films and put it away so it can harm nobody. So we're going to have reverence and, you know, disappointment. <laughs> anyway, pray. We've finally got a fucking good <laughs> Predator film. <laughs> Generally, unanimous Predator film. I'm taking this off now. I'm sorry. It's hurting too much. For audio listeners, I was a twat and, really cool and I put on... Oh, I'm stuck. Renad didn't want to come off. <laughs> okay. My AVP Elder Predator replica mask in bronze. Um, Yeah, that was hurting me. So that's come off. That was real bronze? No. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to lift his head. Oh my God, a gladiator helmet. It's surprisingly sturdier than I was expecting, to be fair, when I finally picked it up. But yes, so, Prey. Finally, it's here. Oh, by the way, this is episode 150, by the way. Oh, how We got a number? We do have a number, and you know what? How many hours is that? Way too many. That's I like mean, one and a half centuries. Not enough. We have recorded a total of 200 hours, not counting this episode and the last episode. That is, that is a lot. I thought it was going to be higher. So if you start re-listening to them right now, you'll be all right for Christmas. For a while. <laughs> if you find us that entertaining, I don't know. Although, to, to be fair, I do recommend not starting that early. Oh, those are the charming ones, though. The first ones are... No, they're painful. They're very painful. Terrible audio quality. Terrible editing. Anyway, pray. Come on, guys. We'll do early. I mean, brief, sorry. And we'll start with Mr. Zeller, since he was the one that saw it first. Don't regale us about the premiere uh, premier in this bit, but tell us what you think. Yeah, so I, I won't get into that too much yet, but that was I saw it under very ideal circumstances. It was a cool little premiere. It was close to San Diego Comic-Con at a theater. They had like a tiny stand-up with like the trees, and they would blast you with fog, and it would have the image of, of the Predator in the back, and the cast was all there, and the director. And so it was. I was seeing it under ideal circumstances. But I guess that was the case with The Predator for me in 2018, too, in Toronto. So I was like, well, we'll see. Because I figured from all the previews and the trailers that I would like it. I was expecting to like it, but I think it surprised me how how much I liked it, but also how, how well it was received in the audience in the theater. And as I went with Mike or Mike's Monsters on the forums, we were driving back to Los Angeles from San Diego and talking about the movie. And I was checking Twitter, seeing the reaction of the movie. And all these initial reactions were very positive. But yeah, this was very much just a back to basics Predator movie that essentially took the formula from the original film, but it was also very distinct in that we had a very different time period, very different set of characters, and a very different Predator, honestly. 
And I think that's where there's going to be a little bit of point of contention later with with how different the predator was. But to me, it still very much felt like a predator. And there were things that were very pleasing to me as as a fan. Seeing the weaponry bag, the kills were brutal and awesome. Like, And I feel like all the actors did a tremendous job. The cinematography, the score. It was very much kind of a classic hero's journey kind of tale, but it did that extremely well. And it's been super happy for me as a fan seeing the positive reception, not just among fandom, but among the critics. And it seems just general opinions I'm seeing online. You know, I had a watch party for the movie. Everybody at my watch party loved it. You know, I have family and friends I've talked to that have seen it that are not hardcore fans like me. And they all really seem to like it. Now, I mean, no movie is going to be universally loved. And I've seen fan opinions that are a bit more negative or disappointment. People that really did want to like the movie that were disappointed. And that that happens. And it's unfortunate. But I do feel that this is going to be really good for the franchise. And I feel personally that they all did a tremendous job, everyone who was involved in this movie, because I, I feel that it is truly a great Predator film. You know, it's not perfect. We have our issues with it, Aaron, and, and we'll get into those, but it's a really great Predator film. And I think it's not out of line to say it's considered the best sequel since the first. Now, a lot of people will balk at that, given a lot of people love Predator 2. I love Predator 2. I love Predators. But I don't think that's an that's an opinion that should be scoffed at. Because I feel like the fact that I was even after I saw the movie, I was even thinking like, do I like this more than Predators and Predator 2? The fact that I was even considering that was a really good sign for the movie. You know, I was a very pleased fan coming out of that theater. And I'm glad I got to see it in theaters. And we'll get into that a bit more as well. But Aaron, you also, you saw it next. You got to see it at a gala in London. How are your thoughts about the movie on initial impression? Well, first, just to talk about the gala a little bit. I thought I was going to a press screening. I'm just showing up in the, you know, jeans and a fairly casual shirt. And then it turns out I'm going to this gala show. And it was essentially the UK premiere. And I looked around and all the very well-dressed people around me realized I was at the UK premiere. And I was like, well, I'm a little underdressed for this. But now this is the first Predator film I've seen where I haven't gone in expecting to be disappointed in some fashion or another because leading up to predators you know we had the leaked early draft and i hated everything about the berserker predators the predator you know we knew it was a bit of a train wreck going in and going in hoping for the best but expecting maybe not what we got but you know i was expecting something not quite that good and this is this was the first film i went into with no none of those sort of worries you know it was what i've always wanted from a predator film in terms of you know actually demonstrating that flexibility of the narrative of the creature, you know, dropping it in a different timeline, seeing how different people, different societies react to it and stuff like that. So I was excited for it. And I got to see it on the big screen as well. Uh, Adam and I did. And it's such a shame this film is not going to be in the cinema. It really, really is. Because the word of mouth is generally positive for this. It's generally really, really positive. Quibbles aside, you know, a lot of people are just saying how much they love it. It did really well critic-wise. I think this would have made some good bank. I think this would have outperformed uh, The Predator quite easily. Probably even Covenant as well. I think I think it had the potential to do really well. And I loved it. I do. I, I think this was brilliant. On a technical level, and I'm talking a technical film level script 
on just purely how it's constructed and how the characters are developed and how it moves through the narrative and stuff like that. I do think it is the best film, best sequel of the lot of them. But on a subjective fandom level, I don't think it's going to beat Predator 2 for a lot of people. You know, I kind of struggle with that myself. You know, Predators and Predator 2, I sort of always held on the same, well, lately. The last good few years, I've always held on the same level. And I think Predator 2 sort of edges it it out lately. But to sit there, I, I think Prey sits very closely after Predator 2, but very definitely before Predators. Because with this film, I have a couple of minor quibbles, like little things, little things that are like, it would have been nice, but don't ruin the film for me. I find Feral a real double-edged sword for me. Or maybe a bipolar thing, you know. I fucking love the masked appearance of him. I love it. I really, really do not like him unmasked. So, you know, we, we go from this easily one of like my top three favourite masked appearances in in the movies. I, I love it that much to my least favourite of any of the unmasked appearances. I, I really dislike that unmasked look. So it's a bit of a bipolar there. And that is really my only main issue with the film. I was a bit dodgy on the climax on the final fight, but having watched it and picked up like more details on rewatch, it doesn't bother me quite as much. But there were a couple of, again, little things that I think could have been different with what they did but nothing to really ruin the experience of the film for me at all you know that film rides on so much goodwill all the way to the end for me that those issues really didn't do anything to to bring the entire experience down so yeah really 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 enjoyed this film it's so good to see the series back in some sort of favor in terms of critics and fandom you know especially after the predator i genuinely thought fox and shane black and fred decker had killed the franchise and i think we we're a good timing that this was in production you know in active development perhaps during that film so they sort of followed through on it and i'm glad they did because this has really done a lot i think for the predator brand in terms of general reception and i hope it does mean we start to see more but whether it's films like this whether it's animated things you know i I do really appreciate what dan has done for the predator franchise here uh, is give it some credibility again Uh, eric how about yourself well i was aware of the positive word of mouth as you know we've talked we've discussed this in depth and the build-up to it i've been amongst those who've said this definitely has potential but i wasn't going to make any judgments just kept an open mind i will say i saw it on as close to a home cinema experience as you can get, because in the run-up to this, did have to get a new television, because who I care for, they've got eyesight problems. So at that point, because there was a sale on, I got a 75-inch screen, Neo QLED, so I saw this in the best possible way you can. I saw the rewatched the original film, Predator, the night before, so it was refreshed in my mind. I did find it curious that my Blu-ray, my non-4K Blu-ray, is actually smoother and higher definition than the 4K version so Disney is streaming. I don't know if that's due to the Blu-ray player, but it was much better. But I got it refreshed in my memory as much as I can. Then I watched Prey the next day, and I also watched the Comanche dub the next day. I found, I think instead of doing like scores out of 10, it's better at this point to say where we put them in the series. I can unequivocally say this is the single best Predator sequel I personally have watched. 
You were never keen on the sequels, were you? I don't think any uh, of them. I liked Predators. I liked certain parts of Predator 2, but I found I just find Predator 2 overall a bit too cartoonish and over the top. But I liked Predators. The Predator, not so keen on. But rewatching the original Predator, I think you'll find there are one or two scenes, particularly the climax, where it is still more satisfying than Prey, but it still has those cheesy moments in it, especially in the gorilla camp attack. Prey does not have that. Prey does not have an ounce of cheese. If you are a lactose intolerant Predator fan, this is the Predator film for you. It is utterly devoid of cheese. It is from start to finish. It plays it straight as an arrow. It is a singularly good film. So yeah, there are one or two parts that the, the original does better, but taken as a whole, as a whole film, I think I have to say I prefer Prey to the original. Again, as a whole film, the cinematography especially, my hat goes off to whoever did that. It is a stunning film to watch at. Whatever you think of the writing and that, it is probably the most beautiful Predator film we've had yet. I didn't find any of the characters particularly obnoxious, except for the ones, you know, you're meant to find. There are just some really nice little inventive things that they do even to the Predator. I'll tell you the kind of film I was expecting. I was expecting something like a grim, dark version of Pathfinder. This wasn't that. This is more of like a personal journey for the lead character. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking for that full-on grim dark, because the Comanche, they were quite brutal. They enslaved other tribes. They they had a lot of shit going on. And I, I had some ideas in my mind of how they could have worked that in. They didn't go down that road. It's more like a generic Dances with Wolves thing, but there is some horse combat in it, which does make you of them being specifically Comanche because as I understand it it would have been the Comanche that would have known how to use their horses in that way so being Comanche does get worked into it but it is it does have a more of a Dances with Wolf vibe about it there's even a scene where there's skinned buffalo in it as a whole it's a worthwhile Predator film absolutely and it's very much comes equal if not in a lot of ways better than the original for me and I don't say that lightly even the music, I loved the music for this. I was not as expecting something to equal Sylvester's score. I really want to get this as a soundtrack. It impressed the hell out of me. The other thing I will say is, because some people are going to be curious, I did watch the Comanche dub, as I said. It does affect the tone of the film, and I wish they had actually made that the version they'd filmed and made the English version the English dub. There is an interesting kind of rhythm to the language. I don't know why, but it just does suit what's on the screen more. It, it feels better. I don't know why. So the Comanche dub might actually be my preferred version. I actually also noticed a couple of words, because I always have subtitles on just in case I didn't catch the word. They have a couple of words changed compared to the English version. Nothing too major, uh, just a, a couple of things I noticed in it. But I, I actually think the Comanche dub is the slightly superior one. You can tell it's not matching the lips. But yeah, well done to everyone who's involved, honestly. It's a fantastic film in its own right, even if it had nothing to do with the Predator. With that said, it's not flawless. There are some problems with it, but there are problems with the original. There are problems with every film. There's nothing that makes it a bad film. I love the film.
Okay, now that Eric's invited all the trolls to come after us for saying he like, potentially likes it more than the first film... There's going to be a lot of people with egg on their faces, considering what they've been saying, which are baseless rumours. Okay, we'll leave that bit for later. I'm not <laughs> sure that's going to come up. I'm not sure how that, that relates to you liking it more than the first well, film. Well, they're but... the kind of people who are going to jump on that kind well, of thing. Well, yeah, well, but, okay. Yeah. David, how would you like it? Definitely not Predator 2, because Predator 2 is the best. But I loved it. I loved it. I found myself mentally clapping at some scenes, and that didn't happen in a really long time. The bear scene, it was like watching The Edge, you know, the 1997 movie with Anthony Hopkins against the bear, only with the Predator in it. Incredible. And the Predator walks his way up through the food chain, because first we see the snake, then we see the wolf, then we see the bear, then we see the humans. This is a movie about the predator violating the natural order. And this is very bad for the Comanche people, isn't it? So this is this movie is about that, and it's great. It knows the predator formula to a T. It's wonderfully shot. And I love the new predator. I love all of it. The only problem I have, and I'm going to get it out there first, because I'm going to spit it. So much love for this predator is the CGI eyes because the the face is CGI for all the shots, not all of them, because we have a stunt head in some shots. And the practical version looks good. The eyes in the CGI version kind of make it look kind of weird the way they are lit. I'm sure this is about you know the budget more than anything. I'm sure if the VFX artists had more time and more budget, they would have done a better job. I mean, this CGI face oversuit thing we've had that popularly used since Shape of Water in um, 2017. And that was a theatrical movie. This is a TV movie, basically. And for a straight-to-DVD, we would say in the old times, now we say straight-to-Hulu, it's doing a wonderful job. And I am marveled at how good it was. This is what happens when you let the artist do a job and not, you know, kind of puppeteer the artist like on Predator 2018. This is my opinion for now. I'm going to be very logoric later. Well, I guess we're all unanimous. I guess we all really enjoyed the movie, which is crazy. Like, it feels like it's just been so long as a fan. Like, the last time we saw a movie that we both enjoyed, Aaron, was Predators in 2010. There hasn't been a single time I've been on staff at EVP Galaxy that I've walked out of an Alien or Predator movie satisfied, you know? And it's kind of, it's almost kind of weird to get that again. But I'm glad we all really, really enjoyed it. And I'm glad most people seem to be enjoying it. It just feels really good as a fan. So again, just credit to Dan and everyone who worked on this film. You know, that's just awesome that they were able to put that together in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of COVID and film something that wasn't this enjoyable. So props for that. Speak for yourself, boy. You know, I came out of Covenant quite happy. <laughs> still with some caveats. Well, Aaron, so you still saw it before general audiences did. Yes. But you were seeing that initial positive reception. Were you trying to keep your expectations kind of measured, even though you were seeing these initial good first impressions when you went into the theater? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I always... I don't care what other people think. I don't trust other people's opinions. I always realize the irony, considering what we do. You know, we're four nerds sat talking to each other, putting our opinions out there for everybody else. But yeah, when, when I'm going to see things or read things or play things, you know, I tend to forget everybody else's opinion and not give a shit and then just go in and make my own mind up as I'm watching it. So I found it. That's the right way to put in this. Not reassuring, but I was pleased that it was getting good reception because 
it creates a good sort of atmosphere, I suppose, you know, um, of expectation in that regard. But as I sat down in that seat, you know, all all I was thinking was, yay, I finally get to see this historical period piece that I've always wanted to see and please be good. It was it was really interesting, you know, because I I had no actual expectations of what I was really getting into. You know, they made it through production without many leaks, really. And a lot of the plot was still relatively unknown. But in that regards, the film's actually very straightforward. So there's really not a terrible great deal to leak in terms of plot, I suppose. And I don't say that as a bad thing, because this is very much as I think Eric said, it. you know, it is a hero's journey. This is probably the only film out of the any of the Predator solo films that has, you know, a character arc, really. We kind of get something with Dylan in him betraying everybody and, and then going back for Mac and everything and becoming that team player. Well, I, su- I suppose Jerry as well. It does something similar, you know, goes from being that brash lone ranger to, to the team player that sacrifices himself for Leona and everybody else. And Royce does the same thing as well. I feel, I feel like a lot of the character development of the Predator film follows the same themes of, of stop being a solo player and being a team player, actually thinking about it. But Naru probably has the most substantial character development and most substantial character journey out of any of the Predator films, you know. And I really like how it's constructed as well on the film. You know, Eric was alluding to that whole egg on the face thing earlier about uh, the loud minority thinking it was going to be a Mary Sue, you know, it was going to be a Ray. But her development throughout the film is earned. Her journey is earned. Her skills and victories, for the most part, are earned until that last moment. And again, I don't say that with derogatory stuff. It's My problem with the ending is perhaps certain elements could have just been made clearer or handled a little better. But I think her victory is very well earned and we get to see her hone her skills you know, throughout the film, you know, even even our first thing is her failing and getting better, you know, with regards to throwing the hatchet and, you know, improving her aim and stuff like that. And and that journey, I really like how it was handled. Again, I say I think it, this film is really good on a technical level. And I'm talking about that sort of technicality of the screenwriting. And I really like Amber Midthunder as well. What about you guys? I think she was really, really brilliant in this film. Yeah, definitely. I I haven't seen too much of, well, really any of her other work. I know there was a, a horror movie I saw called 13 Cameras, and I think she was in a sequel to that called 14 Cameras, which I've been meaning to check out. She was also in a movie called Ice Road with Lawrence Fishburne and Liam Neeson. Yeah, and I've been meaning to check that out as well. So I definitely need to watch more of her other work, but I think she killed it in this. I thought she was great as Naru, and I think she's got a, a bright future ahead of her in acting for sure i've heard some fans say she was in legion i don't know if that's true but that's filmed by the guy who's going to be doing the alien tv series as well as i have not seen any of her other work but she really sold this character it's one thing to sell hardship but it's another thing to sell emotional hardship of things that you can tell hit a character personally hard there even little bits like you could tell when she was figuring things out and there were little things she did with her just her 
eye movement, just her body language, that it felt real. It felt like something a person really, their actual reaction, how it would be. But, I mean, for a film that doesn't actually have much in the way of understandable dialogue, I could be wrong, but I think there's, spoiler alert, I think there's actually more dialogue which is in French than between the actual main characters. This is a surprisingly low dialogue film. A lot of it is to do with reactions to things. Body language. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that Amber might have undertaken some like mime classes or something. I remember Claire Danes said she did that for Terminator 3 because she read the script and she said there wasn't actually much for me to say, but I had a lot to do. So she took mime lessons. But Midha Thunder, she, she does her part really well, but so does the guy who plays her brother, Tabe. Yeah, Dakota Beaver. He was brilliant as well. The guy who plays the really arrogant French trapper who, you know, gets his car mappants. You hate him, but that means the actor's doing his job. Yeah. And you don't even know what he's saying. No, you don't. But he's he chewed the scenery, but in a good way. As every character who has like a speech, even the, um, I don't remember, I think one of them were named, the other two don't have names, but the Native American characters who have that first confrontation with the Predator, and just that first confrontation with it, I wasn't expecting the fight choreography to be this blindingly good. It really sold you on, even when it's a Native character who basically just has a spear or something, it felt compelling, but it felt, you know, this is something someone in that situation could do, but even when they're just having these kind of scenes just going through the woods and talking about going to the bathroom or whatever, it all came across really natural in the same way as you get with characters on Dances with Wolves. I mean, I know it's a might be a stereotype to equate them, but it's the similar kind of vibe. Everyone in this character who played a part on screen, including character who I'm sure we're going to talk about later, but has a famous name in fandom that had something to do with a pistol, he played his part really well as well. Nobody in this gave a bad performance. But Naru needed someone who could really sell the kind of stuff she goes through, as does Tabe. And both of those actors did really good performances in this. I'd be interested to see what they do with the rest of their careers. But those were the two, I'd say, co-stars in terms of screen time. Yeah, it's very much their film. That's what makes it more of a personal journey because they do have that family link, their brother and sister. So when bad things happen to one, it makes it more of a personal story, but not in a way that feels shoehorned. Because it's believable why her brother got in that situation, why they're still living together. I mean, that's the kind of thing they would do. That really helped it to become a personal story. And you do even those early scenes where they're kind of like mocking each other like brother and sister. It feels like a brother and sister. So, yeah, hats off to pretty much everyone who played all, all the roles in this. I've got issues with some of the Predator stuff, but the guy inside the suit who's... You know, he was doing what he was told by the director. He did some great stuff in this as well, in terms of, you know, the fight choreography and stuff. Wasn't Kevin Peter Hall, but even he did some good stuff. How about you, David? How did you feel about the actors? Never through the movie, there's a very personal relationship between the main character and the Predator, because the Predator is an ED monster. He's a demon who judges the main character, judges all the main cast, really. For example, in the first one, you all have all those commando stereotypes, and they all get shot down. Mac, he's the guy out for revenge for his fallen friend. He gets shot. Dylan is looking for to be redeemed. 
gets shot. Billy is the badass, no-talk guy, gets fucking pine ripped. And who is the final guy? Schwarzenegger. And why is he the final guy? Because the Predator chose him as the prey. In Predator 2, same thing with Danny Glover, you know, Harrigan. And Harrigan is looking for revenge for his fallen friend. And the Predator taunts him about it. In this movie, the Predator is the ED monster, the opposite and similar to the main character. And this time it's a little different. Because it's not the action hero learning to be a man. It's a woman learning to be a warrior. And the Predator is pretty much like the woman, only its journey is not earned. You guys were talking about the journey being earned. And uh, Naru's journey is earned because she develops new skills throughout the movie. And those skills help her kill the Predator. You know, in the first Predator, we had Dutch turning back into a tribal warrior to kill the Predator. No weapons could kill it. So what does Dutch do? He hunts the Predator like a tribal warrior. Now we have a tribal warrior. And now the journey is earning your skill, whereas the Predator uses cheat codes. He sees a pistol, he makes a pistol. Cheat code. It's a video game character. There is a moment, I don't know if this was just in the Comanche dub, because I didn't. I don't think he says it in the English one, but the one where Naru and her brother fight it and then it cloaks, I noticed in the Comanche dub, Tarbe yells out, Cheetah! So he was doing that exact thing. And only when the Predator, you know, starts hunting humans does it use the darting weapon, the arrow weapon, whatever it is. Yeah, it sees the bow and then it uses the projectile weapons. Harpoon. Yeah, projectile weapon, which is a throwback to Predator 2, which in turn is a reused concept from Predator 1. This is how Blaine is killed. So the Predator uses this as much as he wants because it's a spoiled young brat. Naru, on the, other, on the other hand, learns to be a warrior the right way, the long way. This is great. And the actress, and this is where I get to the actors, does an incredible job. I love the performance. There wasn't a single performance in the movie that I didn't like, which is rare for me, because everyone did their job well. You know, the, the bandits, the bandits were especially fun, because they were clearly this movie's version of the Jamaican drug dealers. And I found it particularly fun because they use this kind of trapping weapon with a circular base, which looks like a cross because they're French of that time period. And the predator just picks it up and kills <laughs> the guy. That scene was fucking. Yeah, that scene where the predator fully uncloaks and it's the scene we've kind of seen in the trailers where. Yeah. It's this burned forest, there's smoke and ash everywhere, and the Predator just goes on this killing spree with all these French fur trappers. Something I was kind of surprised by, they were aware of this creature. They had actually been tracking it for a little while, and they were asking Naru and I assume her brother about it after they were captured, asking in not very nice ways, of course, but eventually they tie them together to a tree and use them as bait. And at this point, Naru has already made the observation because it, it let her live earlier when she was trapped that it doesn't hunt defenseless, helpless victims. It hunts people it considers a threat, armed or predatory creatures. And it starts with very small animals and, and it kind of yeah. works its way up. And it makes sense that it, if this is this particular creature's first time on Earth, yeah. that it would be observing other predatory creatures going after those creatures and just kind of feeling things out. I didn't get too much of a spoiled brat 
vibe from the Predator. Like, I thought the Predator was a badass. He was just a rookie. He was just inexperienced. And of course, the Predators, like you say, Aaron, they're, they're bastards. I mean, I know a lot of fans have the whole honorable space samurai idea of them. And yes, to some extent, it is shown that different clans have different codes and they won't just kill anyone that's helpless. But at the same time, they're bastards, you know? So yeah. it's, I think some people go a little far with the honorable idea of them. I need to retcon what I just said. I said, spoiled brat. I meant this thing, which I mentioned, that the predator, he sees something, he makes something. He sees the pistol, makes his own pistol. Immediately. Naru has to earn the new weapons. He doesn't because he has the technology. That's what I mean by spoiled brat. Performance-wise, I love the new predator. He was very rookie. Yes, Adam gets it. It's a very similar performance to... The City Hunter. It's an even younger, more angry, angrier version of the City Hunter. City Hunter is insane. This guy's just trying to prove himself and he's looking for a fight. The bear scene tells us that. He wrestles with a bear, whereas the, the jungle hunter would have just shot it. Or City Hunter would have just have had his fan with it and then kill it. The new predator, Feral, he wrestles with a bear and then kills it. He wants to enjoy it. This is a good predator. And the performance, you know, the physical performance, like he's always, you know, kind of huffing and puffing like a dog. That's great. You know, the, the suit performance is great. I think there were two guys, Dane Delavia and someone named Kyle. I don't remember the other, the last name. I believe it's Dane Delegro, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry, Dane, I got your last name wrong. <laughs> okay, so we do actually see pictures of Kyle Strauss on the set as well, and he is credited as an additional predator. But our actual understanding was he only did a couple of days shooting on the set, and Dane redid it all anyway. But Kyle's still credited. But that's just our understanding of it. But yeah, this was a very interesting new predator, and I, I think it'll, again, be a, a point of contention for some fans. I believe the director, Dan Trachtenberg, mentioned that he had kind of worked with Studio ADI to push the design so that they would, I think it was like, we wanted to break it from what would be recognizable as a predator and then come back a little bit, you know, come back into what would be recognizable as a predator from that. And I definitely feel that like for me, yes, it's still recognizable as a predator, but it is quite different. And the director also, I believe, justified his difference of appearance of maybe he's from a, a different hemisphere of the planet or something like that. But I believe this was just them wanting to be creative and try something new in terms of the look. One of the things in particular I mentioned was that the creature performer's head was inside the neck. I believe Dane spoke about this in the uh, Q&A session after the first screening I attended, that his head, kind of like you see with the with the Xenomorph suit performers, his head was inside the neck, and the actual head was a little above his head, which gives him a very long neck. I've noticed in some of the behind-the-scenes photos, I mean, every time before, the, the actor's face has really been kind of behind the biomask. So it's a very beastly, very hunched forward kind of predator. And I honestly did like the very thin dreadlocks. Um, I liked his little shoulder quills. That that was really cool. I loved his bone mask. I, I thought that was so badass. And even the things like the heat vision was done super well. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Aaron, that once the mask was off and having watched it a few times now, I do feel that the unmasked design kind of pushes it a little bit in terms of what we would recognize as a predator. And for me, that line wasn't fully crossed, but it was pushing it. And I can understand for some fans that that was a little too far, the change in design with the face. 
I mean, one of the things I've been hearing a lot actually is the placement of the eyes. So they were a bit too far apart and put back on his head from what we've seen with every other predator before. So they really did, they were bold with the design and I have to give some props and respect for that. I think Feral looks absolutely awesome. My main gripe with it is I feel like that look with him unmasked was just taken maybe a little too far. I was still okay with it. I still thought it looked like a cool design. It just was pushing it in terms of what we would recognize as a predator. Before we dive too far into the um, the design aspect, you know, let's just roll it back a little bit to talk about the character as well. Because I agree with what David said, you know, in equating him to the city hunter, because he is so different to how you know, Jungle Hunter operates, you know, Jungle Hunter was up in the trees. He observed a lot more and, and fired from further afar than, than Feral does. I think he has more in common with with the City Hunter in that he gets in there, gets brawling up up and personal. And I don't, I like it. I've always enjoyed it. And I like seeing that sort of brutality taking place in person. I think the only thing it really missed out on was having that prolonged, perhaps hunt or target take place. You know, obviously Naru, uh, Naru's there throughout, but she's actively hunting him while Feral's there just trying to have have a good holiday, basically. But, you know, there's a lot of cool aspects of him working his way up the chain. And there's further things in there that I really liked was like this sort of analysis of what he was seeing. You know, you you kind of see it in the the infrared scenes where he's taking on the the wolf that's chasing the hare. It comes up with the predator text and stuff like that. And it's like he's analyzing what he's seeing. And then you see that later again with him zooming in on like the the Comanche weaponry that they've got. So, you know, the, there's analysis there. And it kind of reminded me of the Predator from Scott Siegler's AVP short story. Did they call it an ecologist? I can't. Is that right, Adam? This was in Ultimate Prey? Yeah. The Scott Siegler's. Right, right. Yeah. I actually really like that. I thought that perhaps they could have leaned a bit more in there and, and take that element further. But perhaps with it not being the predator's first time on this planet that would have been too far in terms of you know the research and what the prey has to what the planet has to offer thing but i did i did just enjoy that analysis of, of them checking things out and there yeah. was another there was another cool moment during that sequence with the wolf i really liked how dane got down real low to the floor you know that crouches is just sort of going down as he's baiting the wolf to come towards him and those were things i didn't really expect to see too much of i mean i know we saw a little bit of the wolf in the trailer and we obviously saw a little bit of the bear in the trailer but i wasn't expecting them to go like predator prime or or predator turnabout and actually see the predator duking it out with the wildlife so i really did enjoy that aspect of it and i also enjoyed the way the predator did scale up predators are cheaters and you know like eric said with the command thing i fucking loved seeing that comment you know of tarbe shouting you know china i thought that was brilliant and and i've always thought that of the predators and to see them even though they are cheaters to see him leveling up his own access to weaponry to match or be just above what he was fighting against was cool you know because we we see him go to the spear gun and the, the spear when the first conflict happens with everybody at that big log and then when he's fighting the french fur trappers you know we then start to see the shield coming into play we start to see these these bombs coming into play and it's all in line with the predators cheating you know they will forever be more advanced than what they're hunting in regards to what we're seeing in the main films but that level of upping the ante you know it sort of talks in terms of the progression of, of the story and what's happening and i do like that i thought that was a really good uh, really good way of doing it and, and dane is brilliant as well yeah on that note 
this is a very personal reading of the movie. But what I've noticed is lately we've been having, you know, deconstruction monsters. In Alien Covenant, we've had a deconstruction of what the alien is, because the alien is born of a, you know, perverted concept artist. That's what David is. In Shin Godzilla 2016, we've had a, a Godzilla that learns to be Godzilla throughout the movie. We start with the larva version, and then the, the larva gets upright, and then the larva comes back as Godzilla. I feel like there's something similar is happening to this movie, because this guy was sent to Earth, and this is mentioned in the interviews, I think, you guys might correct me on the matter, that the director deliberately didn't give the Predator the shoulder cannon. This is very interesting because in the movie, the Predator, who's the villain, and again, diametrical opposite to the hero, and the mirror of the hero, he learns to be a Predator the wrong way because his skills are unearned. He's just, again, a brutish, stupid Predator because even City Hunter recognized Leona as a threat. He only stopped when he found out um, Leona was pregnant. Leona was a woman. So this movie is not telling us something PC, woke, blah, 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 or something like that. It's telling us that this predator is looking at human society and he sees the men as the warriors and not the women. Because the women in that society, in Comanche society, as portrayed in the movie, are the healers of the tribe, usually. And Naru is seen as kind of what are you it does doing? Let's try and kill her, though. Several. Pa- it doesn't succeed, but it does try. Yeah, but the movie specifies, and this is what helps her kill it. it the movie specifies that the predator doesn't perceive her as a threat, and that the mask targets threats. This is how she kills it, because the only threat in that area, when you know, when the arrow kind of bounces around, like Christie's bullet in Alien Resurrection, kind of. The, the targeting system targets the threat. No, it targets what it's pointing at. It doesn't care. If she lured it so its head would be there. She set up like a kill zone and it was just yeah. pointing straight ahead. Oh. And it's when okay. it activates the weapon, the weapon activates that it just didn't realize that the laser was pointing yeah. at it. So it activated okay. the laser. It didn't know it was there. Yeah. And Leona would have totally died if she wasn't pregnant. That's that's pre-conservation. I don't think... I don't agree with you reading there, David. Because I'm not expressing myself correctly. The movie specifies... Again, I misread the scene. I misread the scene. But the movie specifies several times, and there's a realization moment with Naru when she says that the predator doesn't perceive her as a threat. This allows her to literally shoot the predator in the back of the head. And this is what she uses to kill the Predator, because the Predator is essentially underrating her as a threat. But she's also taken the film's magic flowers. It literally doesn't see her. Yeah, but the Predator is underrating her. This is what the movie is telling her. She comments to that as well. She says, that's what makes me dangerous, is that... Yes. You can't see that I'm killing you. You don't consider me a threat. And that that point is what makes me dangerous. She was speaking generally like she was speaking in human society. You don't see me as threat. The predator isn't seeing me. But earlier on, it did see her as a threat. It identified as a threat. It identified as a target. It was going to kill. In fact, she seems to misinterpret one bit when she gets trapped. She makes the assumption it's not going to kill her. I disagree with her interpretation because it grabbed hold of the 
chain and it honestly seemed ambiguous as to whether it was going to haul her away but then it got interrupted by the French trappers you don't know what it would have actually done but she makes the assumption oh right it wasn't going to kill me because I wasn't armed but it did grab hold of the chain but earlier yeah, I think she's talking because she's talking to the fur trapper and she was saying you guys didn't see me as a threat she's talking generally the predator sees her as a thing to hunt it doesn't care it doesn't care about her gender. I wonder if it was unsure about her at that point, because you also have the moment where her brother Tabe is killed, where he says, run, it sees me as the threat. Yeah. And then it kills him, but it's approaching her, but it's not its not rushing to kill her. She's got the gun up. It's challenging her to do something. It's saying, come right. on then. Exactly. Because it does that with the fur trappers as well. I think there's a lot of that curiosity in there as well, you know, like what I was saying earlier. My reading of him checking the chain out was like, oh, this is this is new. Interesting. This is yeah. up in the, this is an up in the ante of what I've experienced so far as well. And then that's when we're introduced to the French fur trappers. That's when we're introduced to the muskets and the advancement of the weaponry. Although you find out they'd been realising it's hunting them as well, so it might have had familiarity. It was just like that's curious that she was caught in it. What I would say about the behaviour of this predator, Sill, long-time famous member in our forums, he made an observation which I read and I thought, yeah, I have to agree with that. He pointed out that this predator doesn't, it does, but I mean, it doesn't do much in the way of stealth kills and kills from the trees. And he said that narratively, in the predator films, that's what distinguishes predators from just being like what he calls space orcs, which I kind of like, I look back and I went, yeah, it's kind of like being an, an orc from Lord of the Rings. It's just walking through, trashing things. But I think we have to keep in mind, not every predator is going to have the same mentality. They're all given the same tools, but you're going to have one predator that does it very sneakily and it uses intelligence and it thinks, right, I'm going to be a ninja about this. And there's others that just blunder into things because they think, no, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want, which this one kind of does because it, it has a superiority complex. It sees a bear, it takes on a bear, and that bear fight scene is much better than it is in the trailer. Yeah. It actually, it shakes it around like a rag doll. It's excellent. But you can forgive the predator for after doing those things, having a superiority complex, because it's thinking, I'm going in here, I'm wading through, and you see it mending itself after. You can see why it's thinking this is a valid strategy. But when it comes up against an opponent like Naru, who plays it at its own game, because that's what a Predator film is always about. The hero has to play it at its own game. Think of a way to outfox it. That's when the Predator trips up, because it doesn't second guess. I think the only time I remember a Predator second guessing is in the first film, where Dutch tries to lure it into the trap, and then it sees the sharp things, and it goes, no, 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 no. No, no. And it, it does the T-1000 thing, like, no, 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 and it goes around. Every other predator has just kind of, like, fallen for the easiest thing, and this predator's no exception. But 
predators are arrogant. We're saying, oh, it's it's wandering up the food chain, but we don't know what it's gone up against before it came to this planet. Obviously something good, because of the mask. That made me curious, because I'm assuming that bone was made into a mask, because I didn't see a visor in it. I was thinking, how does it see through? Yeah. The, the metal mask's under there, so it's sort of like laid on top Yeah, how is it seeing through, because it's like solid bone? Well, there's there's been predator masks without the the eye pieces before, and you figure they must just have some built-in sensors or or whatever to generate. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be a literal field of vision, yeah. literal cameras kind of thing. Yeah, somehow it's seeing through there. But as you say, it's killed like with the one in Predators. It had that jawbone. It's faced up against big things before. This is not an inexperienced hunter. It might be inexperienced about going up against humans. That's the difference. But it's not an inexperienced schoolboy hunter. It's just, it's had its way. That way of killing and hunting things has worked for it. That's fine. I think it's a missed opportunity where earlier on, I mean, we were talking about CGI. I think I had more problems with the animals being too obviously CGI than the predator, but. It goes against the wolf. I think it would have been more interesting because wolves are pack animals. There should have been not just one wolf, like velociraptors coming around it, and the predators should have realized, oh, I'm getting, I've stepped into something I didn't want to get in. And it could have been interesting to see that turning of the tables because wolves take down bears like that. They didn't do that. So that's an example of something I, I think the film could have done better. But it, it was interesting seeing that. It's seeing other predators and then it interrupts this wolf killing the rabbit but it's not doing it because it's altruistic it just says you i'm taking you on in the same way as the snake it doesn't look at the snake oh it's being predatory it doesn't care about killing the rat it's when the snake goes oh you you're a heat source and the snake tries to kill the predator that the predator goes nope and the predator takes the snake this predator is that it's got the one trait all predators have which it is opportunistic. It just doesn't realise how to be as opportunistic when somebody is doing what Naru is doing with the temperature lowering stuff. Eric definitely one-upped me when he said superiority complex. That's a far better description than what I said because, and what he said actually made me think Eric said that you know, there's not a pack of wolves and he doesn't care about the snake you know, he just wants to kill the snake. He is very bloodthirsty, you know and the thing is, and this is going back to my reading of it as this guy learning to be a predator the wrong way. Again, he's not fighting a pack of wolves and he's wrestling with a bear. This means that he doesn't understand Earth. He doesn't understand Earth, fauna, and humans. So there's not a pack of wolves. Let's imagine this. What if the jungle hunter was in the same situation? Jungle hunter is very, very skilled. And so is city hunter. And so is this guy when he wants to be. They're skilled in fighting, but Jungle Hunter is smarter. And Jungle Hunter wants a bigger, very, very good game. So he would have fought a pack of wolves. This guy doesn't. Even though he can very well, you know, take on multiple opponents at the same time. He does that with the humans. This guy doesn't care. That's it. This guy doesn't care. He doesn't understand Earth. And therefore, he fails. This is a great reading, Eric. I, I agree with a lot of it. Kind of going back to some of his behavior as well. I did like the little moments where... I mean, the kills were exceptionally brutal in this movie. And I love the moments where he takes the human weapons and uses it against them. Like when he grabs the axe in midair, you know, that was a cool shot from the trailer. It's still cool in the movie. But even beyond that, where he picks up the human trap and just throws it at somebody and it snaps right on his head. So I feel like anyone who was worried that Disney would tone down Predator 
those worries are should be alleviated after this because it's a very brutal and gory movie. Now, I will say I've seen a couple of complaints from fans that you don't really see any skull taking or spine ripping of the humans. I mean, you see it with the wolf, but I guess it's not something that needs to be there. It was really cool when it was done with the wolf when you see him kind of gut it and then slowly rip out its spine. I thought that was really cool, but it would have been, I think maybe it could have used one scene of human trophy taking. It wasn't an issue for me, but it's like, it would have been a nice little extra thing, you know. It was cool getting to see the cleaning sequence of the wolf's skull as well. Yeah, it reminded me of Predator 2. With yeah, the exactly. Yeah. That was that was cool. And, and the sort of freezing off, it kind of made me think a little bit of the blue gunk from Requiem, which was fine. Hey, the blue gunk is cool. But I will say, I did like how it revealed the Predator in this. We saw the cloaking and the cloak effect looked really cool with like this hex grid pattern. And we see him in broad daylight a lot. But yeah, the, the scene with the bear where he's just tackling that bear. But you actually see him get a little injured in that fight. And so it kind of communicates that he's not invincible. Like he's, he may be like able to take down this bear. And that's that's super scary but the bear injured him but the bear thought he took him down yeah and naru probably noticed that as well and i love the scene too where he lifts up the bear and he's still cloaked and the blood just covers him that was another thing that we kind of saw in the predator but i feel like it was done much better here but again i'm gonna do a little fan nitpick here aaron the cloak didn't seem to be affected by the water which is something you've you've nitpicked in in some of the books before too which i mean who knows we see with the orange energy this is kind of different tech that they're using and maybe different clans have different techs you know you can you can work around it whatever it seemed like they were using the predator's spaceship hexagonal thing as inspiration for this because it didn't look like this cloak in the original film the original film just like a field this was that spaceship hexagonal i mean the hexagonal thing might be just aesthetic choice but like some of the other things that it was doing to show that this is older tech you know the the way the the cloak field progressed down you know it wasn't instantaneous it was moving down and then this some i fucking love these shots they were brilliant where you have these close sort of pans over the cloaked predator it reveals is as you move around the predator it's not entirely invisible it's just a little bit translucent so you start to see like the skin pattern and the skin texture and the muscles and stuff as you're moving around it so it's not entirely the same cloaking effect it's a cloaking effect but it's not the one that we've seen from the film and it looks slightly less efficient and i thought that was brilliant i just loved the way it handled that being still a cloak but not as good as a cloak but apparently still running water yeah i did sort of raise my eyebrow at that bit but then you also see like the things later where it gets disrupted, like the smoke disrupts it. I I feel like the yeah, blowing the, ash. The, the ash, and then any time it touches something, you get this the the red cloak effect of whatever it's touching. I wondered if the ash was a callback to Predator Two with the dust in the warehouse. I don't know if that was deliberate, but I thought that it seemed similar. I did get a lot of Predator Two vibes too, with a scene with a you know with the bandits trying to track the Predator down using you know weapons to contain it. That reminds me of Key's team. Yeah, this movie knows Predator movies to a T and plays with them. This is great. It's fun as well because they are French fur trappers. You know, the the fur trappers were there trying to catch animals to to skin them, and, and it's trying to catch the Predator. So, you know, maybe they thought they could flog that for something back in Europe. They tried to catch him with a bear trap. And, you know, what the bear trap does is slightly annoy him. (laughs) There's a bigger link with Predator 2 in this. I am beyond convinced that this was on purpose. Adams said about the, the bear seemed to injure the Predator. 
The Predator definitely gets injured in this film, but I felt some of the injuries were not, you know, they weren't lasting enough. And the the one big thing that I think it, this film didn't do right, in Predator 2, it had the left arm taken off. This one had the right arm taken off. So I don't know if that was a deliberate mirroring, but it was too coincidental otherwise. But when it had the arm severed, I was expecting, you know, the classic Predator profile rah, sort of thing. the predator just sort of looked at it and just looked and i was thinking your your limb has been i kind of i kind of liked that because it yeah. it was just him getting enraged like silently enraged where he's like oh my arm's off i am like pissed at you now like in predator 2 it's it's arm gets cut and it was ah oh, it's hurt at least but again, they don't have to all be the same. You know, that's one of the strengths of the Predators is this individual aspect of them. You know, they are not the alien drones. I mean, they could just be really high on drugs when they go out for a hunt. So they're all high on PCP. They could be entirely high on some sort of performance-related stuff. Again, they're fucking cheers. I still don't quite understand the choreography of that moment. I didn't get why Naru tries stabbing it with the spear and the spear suddenly goes short. It's as though the spear wasn't letting it hurt. That was the before predator. that bit. I mean, her, her, him chopping his arm off, I don't quite understand what happened there. I mean, it looks like he tried to deflect it with the shield. He deploys a shield and she knocks it to his own arm, yeah. Yeah, because I thought what would happen was, oh, she's going to do like Harrigan did with the, using its disc. I thought she was going <laughs> to grab hold of the arm, use the blades, because I thought the blades are right there. The camera's showing them shining in the light. She's getting, That'll be a clever way of using the Predator's gear against it. But that wasn't what happened. It was a more, yeah. a little more convoluted way of killing the yeah because we've already had that so you guys may know you know i watched these movies for the monster <laughs> mostly so i demand nothing short of perfection when it comes to predators because predators are important especially city hunter uh this predator was a great iteration of the predator the suit performance was incredible design i liked Again, the only problem I found was in the CGI eyes. Um, the designer is Michael Vincent alongside ADI. They've been collaborators for a while now. They've been doing busts. I remember a Goro bust and also a custom creature done as an NF NFT or something, but they did collaborate before. And the predator is very Michael Vincent. I recommend you guys follow him on Instagram because he's a great creature designer and also a great artist. And his style must have captured, you know, Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff's imagination because the predator is very much, you know, Michael Vincent's predator. Like um, if you if you see this thing and then you see his art, this is Michael Vincent's predator. And he's very proud of the work done on this movie. And I agree, this is a great iteration of the character. On the forum boards, we have some Doctor Who fans. So here's a fun comparison. The Daleks, you know, the famous Doctor Who creatures, they've appeared first in 1963. And since then, we've seen like a thousand variations. This is a new variation of the Predator. We can't always have the Winston Predator. And previous attempts to do the Winston Predator by someone else were not well received. Even Fugitive had the criticism. Uh, Scar was met with nothing but flaming hatred because Anderson wanted the hero Predator. Wolf was better received, but, you know, there, there always was this kind of resentment, you know, that they were doing the Winston Predator not properly. This time, ADI bows out, and this is very sad, bows out with their own Predator at last. Because, and this is recent news, Prey is the last, and this is kind of a hard moment for me because this is, this is the end of an era. 
because ADI is not Gillis is continuing, you know, with Studio Gillis. He's, uh, he's announced that on Instagram, but ADI is done. This is the swan song for ADI. And my God, what a fucking swan song it is. They did great on this. You know, they started on, on Tremors and Tremors was nothing short of a spectacle for creature effects. And with what movie do they decide to bow on? Prey. And they did a wonderful job on this. And even if the CGI eyes are kind of weird uh, because of the budget, I have nothing but praise for this. This is great. This is fantastic. The, the fact that the Predator looks ugly, deliberately ugly, deliberately different, says something about the movie. I have some ideas, but I don't want to get too specific. For me personally, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because I love Scar. I love Wolf. I love all the Predators that ADI has done. Nitpicks aside, like I feel like they were also their own Predators. But yeah, the director did allow them a bit more freedom in this movie to explore something outside of what, you know, something like you were saying was more more based with the original design. This was something where they could do something that was a bit different. And it wasn't part of the story like in Predators where they were Berserker Preds or in The Predator where it was an upgrade predator, whatever. It's never really explained why this one looks different. And again, the directors commented on why why you could or how you could explain that it looks different, you know, if you were really thinking about it. But I don't think it matters. Like, again, for some fans, I do feel like the design changes will be a bit much for the character. At the same time, I have nothing but respect for this. This felt less like a guy in a suit, I think, than almost any other Predator movie. It felt like a beastly alien when, when you're watching the movie. And I do think Dane Delegro killed it in terms of how he performed as this predator. He gave it its own unique character. I would love to see him return and do and do another predator just like Ian White did and just like Kevin Peter Hall did because I feel like while those other suit performers did have similarities in their performances, Wolf and Scar did feel like different characters, just like Jungle Hunter and City Hunter did. And I have no doubt that Dane could continue that if he was to play an, another Predator. But I know, Aaron, you also, you were telling me that you also had a couple issues with the design yourself. Was it really just the face? The face was your only issue with it? Everything else you loved? Yeah, so... I really like what Dean did with the character. You know, it is a more, again, character. Predators are individual. You know, they have different personalities, different styles and stuff like that. And I like this more, maybe not so much huntery kind of thing, but this more brute getting into the thick of it like City Hunter does at multiple times kind of aspect to it and relishing that kind of thing. I really only have a problem with the mask. Without the mask... Like I, I loved, I loved the the whole way the costumes all themed around this sort of more brutish, more primitive, more hands-on take on the character. You know, the the armor's minimal. It's just like the little loincloth kind of thing. There's just some shoulder stuff. It's very. <laughs> I think there's probably some pred fangirls out there that are very happy with how focused <laughs> on how fucking toned. Yeah, he's got like a twelve pack. It's yeah. ridiculous. And and uh, this predator doesn't. He's not wearing the fishnets. He's not wearing the armor. He has new unique wrist gauntlets. The mask is super cool. I love the fact that they finally did a bone mask. But yeah, it's it's really more about the physicality with this mm-hmm. with this predator. And he was he was a beefy motherfucker. He for really sure. was. And like the, the mask is honestly, I think one of my top three favorite cinema masks. I have. I've probably talked about it on the podcast at some point, but I have a huge sauce spot for the the open sort of mouth pieces you know you, you saw it with my elder mask earlier i love that mask ahab is probably one of my favorite comic predators it's impractical as fuck as a mask i mean it's a mask why would you have an open thing but from an aesthetic point of view i fucking love that take now they do it different with feral 
because rather than it being the center that's open, everything's sort of angled towards a blunt point at the bottom. So it's a, it's a different take. It's very reminiscent of an AVP Requiem concept for Wolf's Mask. But I love that. I love that. I love the skull on it because I think things like that add character. You know, I love the the jaw on on the Berserker's mask because I think it adds character. Now, as much as I love that mask. I also think the way they constructed it led them to design the face in a way that I really dislike because it's so blunt of a point that they construct the mandibles so they're just entirely parallel and vertical. So you don't get this this closeness to them, which I think they probably would have gotten of if they'd have gone like a sharper point towards the the, the bottom of the mask. I really, really dislike it. And I'm actually quite surprised at how much I do not like this face. In the film, it's not so bad because a lot of the scenes where he's unmasked are very dark. dark. So it's not very noticeable. But having seen the behind the scenes stuff, Every time I see it, I'm just like, I really do not like this. You know, I don't like the position of the mandibles. It reminds me of a creature from... So you all know I'm a Stargate fan. There's an episode of Stargate Atlantis that's very much a tribute to Alien. And they have these sort of hybrid creatures that are supposed to be like the Alien. And they're very insectoid as well with with mandibles. And it's very much like that, where they, you know, they're the parallel vertical ones. And I hate it. I fucking hate it. The huge forehead, I Really do not like the deep eyes. I hate them. I get that it's to emphasize this more Neanderthal take and interpretation of what they're trying to do with, you know, with Feral and making more primitive, making more, again, Neanderthal. But it doesn't work for me in the slightest. And I realize it's an aesthetic thing. I realize it's a subjective thing. But yeah, it's my least favorite unmasked predator. I really do dislike it. One of my favorite masked predators, but unmasked, no thank you. Really hate it. It's a bridge too far for me. And I say this as somebody who does love ADI and has liked all their predators, you know, skin flaps aside, you know, I do like their takes on them. Um, I really loved Fugitive. I thought Fugitive looked brilliant. It's pretty much the one thing that doesn't work for me in terms of, major thing that doesn't work for me in terms of the film is that. Just one small comment which popped up in my mind because I thought about it earlier. This predator is facing a tribal warrior society, the Comanche, a Comanche tribe. Now, I don't know the specifics of Comanche. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Early on, I said ED monster. I meant ID monster. I wanted you to explain this to me. What are you, what are you saying? That this guy probably inspired Legends of Wendigos and Skinwalkers or whatever the Comanche version is, because this guy looks like kind of a boogeyman. You know, the, you, you mentioned the eyes, you know, being very sunken into the head. That creates a silhouette that when hit by the red light, it looks like two dark spots when the eyes should be. It looks like a skull. It looks like death. So perhaps, and this is my personal reading of it, maybe they will be supported by the creators, but what if this predator inspired legends of Wendigos and Skinwalkers or whatever the name is for the Comanche, the same way the original predator was the Diablo Casador de Hombres. What I mean is this was deliberate in the design phase. One movie that I think is similar to this one is The Ritual came out on Netflix, I think, five years ago. And the vibe is very similar. Again, that's another ID monster. So the general gist of it, this rambling is that perhaps the design, the bone mask, and the ugly predator are all meant to say this thing inspired legends of creatures and monsters in Comanche lore. 
according to the movie. This is just an idea. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if that's correct. I don't know how the timeline works there, Eric. Which part specifically? As in the Predator would inspire their myths. But then again, the, the, the film makes a point of them having some sort of creature to reference. And I, I do wish the film would have lent into that folklore angle yes. a little bit more. It definitely needed to. I was expecting more of that. That was one of the things I think I felt was a bit of a wasted opportunity. She uses the word Mupitzel, and I spent ages looking this up. I cannot find a specific entity called Mupitzel. I did find one French article about the film, which I had to translate into from French, and apparently that just... it claims it just means monster in Comanche. So I don't think... I think it's one of those things they might have forgot to translate or something. In terms of the facial design, I must say, what my immediate impression... I, I feel like Aaron. The mask is good, especially because when it's in a profile, it gives it a kind of like a pseudo-fanged look to it, a bit like a cobra in the profile. Something else I forgot to mention as well was because of the way the mask is and how it's angled towards the middle and you get these exposed mandibles on the side, as much as I, again, hate what it might have caused, I actually really like the way you got this movement with the mandibles. Yeah. While it was masked, because it gave you this sense of life, it gave you, again, a sense of personality and, and how it was feeling at the time. So as much as it might have caused an issue with the design that I dislike, I actually liked the practicality of it while it was masked and you were seeing the mandibles twitch or move or, or even the, the way they, he roared with the mask on. Yes, that's something the other films didn't do, yeah. Because it does have that, when it leans forward and you see it in profile, it does have that look of a, of a cobra-like look to it. When it's unmasked, yeah, it's like somebody has taken a big wadge of clay and they've just gone and they've spread it across the forehead. I think what they were going for was like a, a kind of a dinosaur look to it because what they've done, they've elongated the sockets and they've stretched them right back along the side of the head. And I don't know if it was deliberate, but the first moment I saw to it, the obvious thing that came to my mind was a film from it's a comedy sci-fi film. It's a very famous guy who directed Ghostbusters, I think, did it from 2001 called Evolution. And if you look at the ape creatures from that, they have the exact same eye socket elongated in the same way. I assume they did it to make it look like it had one big gigantic evil frown sort of thing. They're trying to exaggerate that, but for me, it didn't work. The mouth stuff on it, the animatronics for the mouth, the way it was animated, I've got no problem. I particularly actually love this scene where it yells out and you have this shot from the sky and you see all the pink inside its mouth glistening. I love that shot. It's a really good shot. But in terms of what they did above the mouth, it's like everything below the mouth works. Above the mouth, no, I didn't like it. <laughs> in terms of it inspiring mythological things, I think all of that would have already been part of their culture. But you could say, was that due to earlier predator visits? And that's something I'm trying to write an article for the site about at the moment. But you definitely have that implication that perhaps an earlier predator might have caused some of that, not this particular visitation. And in fact, I really like the credit scenes because they're all in pictogram form and it actually shows you them. They do look like a predator here. You can't mistake it for anything else. You see the cross mandibles and the dreadlocks and stuff. I will say the promotional images, I did notice the thinner dreadlocks, but in the film, I didn't really notice they were thinner. For me, they just looked like normal predator dreadlocks, but yeah. Going back to the 80s, there's something Rick Baker said about American Werewolf in London. He said, there's something very scary about 
45 degree angle. And he deliberately sculpted the werewolf with an angry brow because it was supposed to be uh, showed very little in the movie. And I feel like that became kind of a standard for monster designs. And that that's another iteration of this in the new Predator because the sockets are kind of angled in an almost 45 degree fashion, kind of like an angry brow because this guy is very angry. He's very furious. He's like a rabbit. And the design reflects the cocktail. So you might not like it, but there's a lot of thought behind the design. It is legit to dislike the design. For the longest time, I hated Wolf. I'm only recently warming up him. I actually kind of really love Wolf now <laughs> because, you know, I'm not young anymore. And I feel like down the line, this Predator will be kind of more well accepted, especially by the new generation of Predator fans. Regardless of that, it is completely legit to dislike the design, I think. Because again, as Adam and Aaron say, it is very much of a departure from the classic Predator look. And when you come into a Predator movie, you expect a certain set of things. And for you guys, it is kind of binocular looking vision, human looking vision. This guy goes more feral. It's more animal-like. So the eyes are further apart in the head. It's more reptile-like. It's something I like. I do understand why you guys don't like it. Because again, it is quite a significant departure from what we usually saw. And this is because, unlike, say, Godzilla, you know, we've only had one, two, three, four, five predators before this in the movies. You know, we had Jungle Hunter, City Hunter, Car, and Wolf, and Mr. Black. You know, Berserker. Berserker was also kind of a departure, but less than this. Berserker was very KNB style because it had that kind of buzz relief, layered skin texture. He looked like he was skinning himself alive or something like that. And this guy is even more of a departure compared to Berserker. So I, I completely understand and respect if you guys don't like that design, the design so much. The only problem I have, again, is purely technical when it comes to the eyes or the CGI version. Because there's something about that. I don't know. Again, budget and time have to do with this, not the VFX artists. But yeah, Predator fans, completely free to dislike the new design. Well, I think it goes, it's like with the Alien, where they were, in both cases, Stan Winston came up with a design which was as good, if not better, than the, what was in the first film. In Aliens, it was a really great design. Predator 2, City Hunter is actually my favourite Predator design. But I think after that point, you kind of have to take that maxim, which is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I really do think they, they, if they had brought back the original, you know, what's underneath the mask, if they'd have brought back, which they did in the last, in Predators, they managed to do that. If they had brought back that aesthetic or my preference, Predator 2 aesthetic, I think that would have helped to drive up even more the reception of this film. As it is, I have honestly not found many people who are fans of this unmasked look. They love the skull mask look. I have not found much in the way of positive fan reaction to this. But as you say, maybe that'll change in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know me, Predator 2 is top of the line. You're never going to top Predator 2 or Predator. Predator 2 is my personal favorite. City Hunter fan for life. <laughs> I'm going to die on this hill. There's never going to be a Predator that I personally enjoy better than City Hunter. Design or character-wise, because City Hunter is completely bonkers. 
<laughs> he's bonkers. When he's about to lose, when he's at a stalemate, he decides to blow himself up. Jungle Hunter waits until he's done. City Hunter doesn't. He's insane. And this guy is yet another predator. And again, like the Daleks, it is a mistake for me to judge them under the same, you know, tent pole. They do not act the same because they are individuals. They are, they belong to the same general kind of species. Again, the Daleks are, you know, they have a varied history and so do the predators. And recently, you know, we've had these concepts being inserted since predators about the predators modifying themselves a little bit genetically. This was a concept in predators the scripts was later abandoned. I think in the final film, I haven't seen predators in a long time. Boring movie. And then it got exasperated in Predator 2018. So perhaps there was some semblance of this idea here of genetic modification. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't think it, it particularly needs to be explained. I mean, I do feel that predators and the predator set us up for the idea that there are different subspecies or different physical appearances of the same race, you know, and I think predators presented that in a good way where it was the difference between a dog and a wolf. And I know Sideshow did these collectibles where it shows their their skulls and their skulls are really quite different from each other with the classic predator and the the berserker predators. And so I do feel like if you didn't have that priming, then maybe this movie would have been more controversial with the different design for the predator. But because we've maybe become kind of used to that with the last two movies, it was okay to have a bit of a different look here to not really explain it and to just present it. You know, this is from a different subspecies or a different part of the planet. So I can personally go with that explanation. I do feel like the design is is quite strong. And it, again, I feel like just I can understand fans having an issue with the facial differences because they are pushed a bit far. But I feel the masked design for this is just fantastic. I think it'll go on to be a, a fan favorite Predator, you know, right alongside all the other Predators. You know, people have their favorites. Wolf has always been my personal favorite. And I think Feral's great. I think he's a very unique, individualized predator, and I can't wait to see collectibles of him. I know NECA's talked about that, and hopefully Hot Toys releases one as well. But now that the studio realizes they, they got a hit on their hands, like, where the merch at? I want to I wanna buy the, the Prey merch here. So I wonder how much of that was the lawsuit basically getting in the way of any development time. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Something kind of interesting is whenever we move the predator from the basic archetypical design, we get a strong reaction. On AVP, the predator was made handsome. It was the hero predator, the romantic lead, according to Anderson. People disliked it. You know, I like it. No, Always like predator in, uh, in the, the predator in AVP was, he was my first predator, actually. So that might have something to do with it. You know, with my tenderness towards Scott, I have kind of a soft spot for him because it was the first one I saw ever. Whereas in this one, we have the opposite because this is the ugliest predator and it's getting just as strong as a reaction. So what I think would makes the predator successful or not as a design is in Latin, we would say in media res. Balance. This guy kind of, you know, loses the balance towards the ugly intentionally. And this is what, you know, makes it unpalatable for some people. Again, this is legitimate. 
But, you know, this is kind of the opposite of Scar, because Scar was the, you know, hero version, and here we have the ugly, you know, Ephialtes from 300 version. Um, yeah, actually, you mentioning that, this brings to mind something I must say. I felt visually this actually had a lot in common with just the visual tone of 300. There were, there's a lot of very, it, it, not saying they could almost be the same film, but it was something about the cinematography. It felt very much like 300 did. But one point, I must point, I know it's got nothing to do with the Predator or anything, but we were talking about the actors in the film and what good performances they are. I would just like to give a little salute to Sari. Who's played by Coco? That dog was apparently adopted and specially trained for this film, and apparently it did so well they weren't originally going to use the dog in as many scenes as they did. That dog had a really great little performance, Sari. And apparently, if anyone out there is wondering, because they might say, "Oh, I'm thinking of naming my dog Sari," it apparently literally just means dog. So Naru was, whenever she was calling for the dog, she just was saying, "Hey, dog," so which is actually quite authentic for that. I like that. I love the Sari as well. I thought the, I thought the dog right, was yeah. brilliant. Coco. Played by Coco. Yeah. You know, dog sidekick, and this, again, is very personal as a reading. It kind of reminded me of that werewolf movie from the 90s, Bad Moon, where the dog is the hero. And the dog kind of fights the werewolf in that movie in a way that's very similar to this movie. I'm not saying the filmmakers copied that, but perhaps they saw it once. And this would be a very cool connection, if intentional, of course. I want to ask what folks think about the flower. So what was it, orange tootsie, I think was what they called it? Yeah, tootsie. Tootsie apparently literally just means flower. So they were literally just saying orange flower. I really did not see that coming. I thought from the early trailers where we saw the the swamp, I was like, oh, it's going to be an accidental thing to do with the swamp. The mud again, I thought the the thing in the trailer where you saw her getting covered in mud, I thought, oh, that's going to be how they do it, but yeah. And obviously it factors into it, but it factors into it in a much smarter way, I think, than I was thinking it was going to be from the film. But like, I didn't see it coming, even though it's perfectly established and set up throughout the film, you know, this, it lowers the, you know, the blood temperature, don't, don't cover him up and stuff like that. And then when she did it and she realized, well, and, and the film sort of realizes it, it shows it as, as it's going. I was like, okay, that's interesting because in much the same way that Predator immensely exaggerates Mud's ability to mask an infrared signature, flowers are used in old medicine to, to lower your body temperature. You know, it's it's a thing for like dealing with flus and, and stuff like that. So like the mud, it has some basis in reality, but it's an immensely exaggerated version of it. But I thought it was really cool. And I like the way it sort of, again, built on all of Noru's skills. You know, her expertise is this herbal medicine. It is, it yes. is her medical skill. Made it very relevant to her journey, to her yes. background. That's what I really liked about it. Apparently, um, avp.fandom.com, they've actually got an entry for Orange Totsia, and they've got a link to an article someone has done on Screen Rant where they've tried to find out about this flower. They can't figure out whether it's real or just something made up for the film. 
So maybe it exists, maybe it doesn't. I would imagine it's probably fictional. It could be. Yeah, well, especially something working that fast to make you that cold. It's possible it might exist, though, because some herbal things do have radical effects on the human body. But um, in terms of some people will say, ah, oh, I call bullshit on that. But it's like you say, when they've done actual things on seeing how far... Apparently mud does kind of work for a few moments and then it heats up really quickly. Mud would not have made Dutch invisible for that amount of time. So if you're going to call bullshit on this, you have to call bullshit on mud. As a plot device, it works on the same level. I had the exact same kind of thought process in my head. I was like, would the flower really lower your external temperature that much that it wouldn't show up on thermals? But my next thought was, well, would mud, like that you really couldn't see him at all? So yeah, movie's got a movie and you just kind of have to go with it. Because movies don't employ real logic. This is what they teach you in um, screenwriting classes. You know, they employ visceral logic. It's a movie. It's got its own rules. The flower, they might have used a real flower, but the flower's properties are definitely fictional. Well, I think it's more exaggerated. It's, it's, it's like I said, I looked it up. Exactly. And the flowers have been used in the past to lower body temperatures. There is some basis in reality, but it's just like the mud in that it's immensely exaggerated for the purposes of movie. And, and plot. Yeah. Just as something different, just to switch it up, to lead me in exactly. one direction from the trailers and, and then subvert it. I was like, yeah, okay, brilliant. Thank you, Dan. That was good. Should we talk Raphael Adelini, though? Yes. Yeah, because this is another element I feel will be controversial to some fans because there was a Dark Horse comic that told the story of how the flintlock pistol got to the Elder Predator in Predator 2. And he essentially had a mini team up against a group of mutineers in this comic and they fought together. And I know some fans, I mean, it's not a super well-known comic, but I think the fans that do like that comic really, really like that comic. And so, you know, it was never canon. The comics are never considered hard canon like the movies are. So it's not like, oh, they're breaking canon like I'm seeing around. They're not. But I can understand how some would consider it to be, I guess, uh, not the portrayal they they were looking for. I personally didn't mind it. I thought it was kind of cool to see Raphael Adelini and how he was well-versed in languages. And I didn't expect him to just kind of die like he did, though. The Predator steps on his his leg that hasn't been severed because the Predator initially can't see him. And I almost wonder if Naru was actually saving him or kind of using him to test a theory with the flower or if maybe that was just circumstantial. I don't know. That's the moment she learned. Yeah. Yeah. It steps on his wounded leg because that's why he yells out, I thought. I think it's his unwounded leg it steps on and then he screams out and then it just kills him. And he sees the blood heat, but he thinks he's dead because of the effects of the flower. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Irregardless of where he stands, because it doesn't matter. He stands on, you know, Raphael and causes the pain and this, oh shit, <sighs> moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that in itself, it's like when you have the Predator harmed, it's nice to see a typical plot device that most films would have like, that's the way to beat the villain, it beats the villain. Here, you figure out it's a way to thwart the villain, but it doesn't 100% work, and she realises, yeah, you have to be careful with it, because it's not just going to assume, oh, there's a sound. Oh, oh well, it could be anywhere. It's not foolproof. I really liked that. So it, it kind of worked for me. But yeah, I didn't expect him to just pass away that quick. I thought he was going to play a part in the actual Predator's demise. So it was it was interesting that he had that less longevity than I thought he was going to have. 
Ever since we saw the date, I was like, yes, the pistol's going to be involved. But I was always worried that they were going to shoehorn Grey back into it somehow. I was genuinely worried we'd be looking at an alien in Alien Covenant situation where it's, it's thrown into the last 20 minutes, whatever, and it's not natural and it's all rushed and it, it doesn't work and it makes my eyes roll. And I'm very glad that it was handled the way it was. You know, I was always expecting the retcon from the moment we got the date because I knew there was no way in hell it was going to be anything to do with the comic because at the end of the day, the movies are never beholden to the comics. Even when they are considered canon, they're canon until they're not. So that doesn't bother me, especially when we come from a franchise (laughs) where Alien 3 exists. It should not be new to any of us, but... I don't mind it. You know, it's it's one of those things where I'm kind of like, I'm indifferent to it because I don't have that passionate of a connection to the comic. But it's interesting because it implies a bit more story to the pistol. Well, it doesn't imply, it tells you. There's more to that pistol than it belongs to this guy. And then the way that the film ends as well, with the credits, with the implying that the predators are then coming back down. Yeah, to the it's important for people who have not seen it. It's important to see those credits all the way through. Yeah. It leaves it open as both sequel bait, but also it's open to interpretation. You know, this go off, do your own thing, imagine your own thing, or it's there potentially for another take on that actual story of Greyback getting pissed off. And I like that. I really do like the way that conclusion was ended rather than them quickly shoehorning Greyback in who comes and chops off Farrell's head and claims that kind of stuff. I wasn't sure if the pistol was going to make an appearance, even with the time period. But looking back, yeah, I probably should have been like, of course, they're going to have the pistol in there. And and we knew they had gotten a replica. But yeah, even if the pistol was there, I didn't know if Raphael was going to be there and if he was going to play a direct role. And part of me is like wondering if the movie really needed it. If it was like, we just need some fan service in there. So we need to have the pistol. We need to have Raphael. Because it's it's interesting that most, most of these films connect back to the original Predator. You don't see too many references reference Predator 2. I know in The Predator, they briefly mentioned it. But yeah, it was kind of interesting with this movie, totally, tonally, visually distinct from Predator 2. You know, I love Predator 2, but it is it is a very different film on many levels than this movie. So to have that connection to that movie, it did feel a little odd, a little odd to me, I must be honest. But again, it was still cool to see, get to see the flintlock. And part of me kind of has the interpretation that when, you know, the elder receives it, however he does, like, it's kind of a reminder, like, you got to watch these humans because you might be arrogant and think you can beat them, but they'll surprise us. But I I do know some fans that were particularly irked that Greyback didn't appear because Greyback has his fans. And it would have been weird to have a predator look a very certain way and then have Greyback show up and he looks, you know, like we expect Greyback to look, hopefully. So... It could have been like Scooby-Doo where they took that mask off and it was like, it was you all along. Oh my God. You know what I'm going to say? I like that we saw it again because it's a Predator 2 prop. (laughs) And I was waiting for the time when we would see the pistol again, you know, the the flintlock pistol. And I wasn't disappointed. And I'm going to say this. Yes, it's a retcon. Some people might not like it legitimately so but i'm gonna say this at the very least it's not retconning spine ripping as a way to harvest human dna (laughs) hey that was not all predators (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I think for me, as soon as we heard about the day, I thought it's more likely than not we are going to see at least a reference to it. It's worth pointing out that I think for Predator fans, the flintlock pistol has always been to Predator fandom what the space jockey was to Alien. Because it's something the camera lingers on, you got that sort of chills about it gives you a glimpse into a wider world of something that happened with historical significance. Don't know what it was. You just know there were events and it happened with a human contact with predators. What could it have been? Literally anything. It shares that space jockey vibe. As of right now, however, I, I know you like you say about, oh, everything's canon until it isn't. I have the opposite view where nothing is canon until it is. You do have, I know you said, well, it's definitely not canon, but you do have these sort of AVP Gandalfs in social medias we're saying you shall not pass we say someone asks they come into the fandom or social media and they say oh xyz this has always made me wonder and one of the things is oh remember that flintlock pistol in predator 2 i wonder what happened it's one thing to say well there was once a comic published it's as close as we've got here's the youtube video link what do you think about it? it's one thing to say that but it's another thing to say which a lot of fans unfortunately do which yeah this comic was done it's canon this is definitely how it happened I'm always compelled to say that's not how Hollywood works. If you're lucky, they'll say to someone they've hired to do a script, does this fit in with the other movies? If we gave this to someone, would they say it lines up with them? Yeah, 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 cool. Okay, let's do this. Because continuity isn't even a tertiary consideration for them. It's do they need to do drafts? Is it affordable? Blah, blah, blah. Way down there in the food chain is continuity and they're only going to care about movies this is now proof of that where if you're sadistic you could say ding dong the eu which is dead because it's it's saying don't hitch your wagon to the comics and books and video games which year by year are increasingly obscure some books are literally out of print you cannot read them even if you want to they are never going to get a scriptwriter. Sit them down. You must watch all these YouTube videos. You must sit through and look up all these fan-run wiki sites. That's not how it works. If you see it in a film, you can say, well, it'd be nice to see this in a film, but you're never going to assume Fox didn't. Disney isn't going to, clearly. They're never going to say, we've got to do it how the comics did it. There's always going to be wriggle room for a film to come along and say, maybe you did it like that in the comics. And that's assuming they're aware of it. But this is how we're doing. And at this point, you're basically left with saying, OK, if they had done it, an adaptation of the comic, would that have been better than what we have in Prey? And as far as I'm concerned, yeah, it was a nice little, it was an interesting, fun little adventure with the pirate. But I vastly prefer how Prey played out. And I vastly prefer how the pistol played a part in the character's journey compared to it literally pretty much just being, yeah, thank you for saving me from a mutiny. I prefer this version. I think most fans, if they're honest with themselves, they prefer this version. But we have to accept the comics, the game. They're not set in stone. You have to accept there's always going to going to be a chance that a film will come along it could do something different the most you can do is cross your fingers and hope that if and when they do it will be better covenant and prometheus by and large a lot of fans don't think they did that with the space jockey but here i think they've come up with a way to use the plot device of the pistol in a better way than we had with the comic so i think if you're going to do it do it well and I think at the end of the day, that's what this film has done. They've done it well. It's like what you're saying, Aaron. The expanded universe is always playing catch up to 
to the movies. And there's a lot of things we we love in the expanded universe and that we would like to see on screen. And sometimes they do adapt it a little bit, like even the first AVP adapted a lot of elements from that comic. But I, I kind of agree with you, Eric. I do find the uh, how the pistol's presented to be more interesting here than it was in the Dark Horse comic. And I liked that Dark Horse mini comic. I thought it was cool, but yeah, nothing it was wrong a cool little that. comic. Yeah. It shouldn't the movie shouldn't have to be beholden to that. And I do find how it was uh, how it was implemented in this to be intriguing. I disagree with all of you. I'm gonna go read Aliens Book One because that's the only ending to the Newton story <laughs> there is. Okay, Alien Tree doesn't exist. <laughs> David coming in here with the controversy again. Well, that's that's always the day. A, a retcon is always going to be a gamble. That's why I say the most you can do is hope it turns out as good, if not better. You know, it's not even necessarily a bad thing. You know, we live in a society. <laughs> we live in a world where the Marvel movies exist, and we are more and more getting warm to the idea of a multiverse. So every time there's a retcon, you know, you just can't say, it's another continuity. Just do that. I can't do that. It's not necessarily the same for other people. I understand it because some people prefer one big continuity. And this is when certain comics suffer because deadliest of the species exists. Uh, you know, you guys remember deadliest of the species? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, let's not go into a multiversal conversation here because the, that then leads us into Blomkamp. But we're not doing that. It's going to be hard enough to get through everything we want to get through on this movie. Earns <laughs> <laughs> a mention every episode. <laughs> but I would like to take a moment to talk about the score by Sarah Sashner. That was I what thought. I was going to bring up next. Beautiful, beautiful. How movie. are you pronouncing that? Sashner, I believe it is. Okay. I, I actually looked up a video <laughs> and it was an award ceremony, but I believe it's Sarah Sashner. And uh, I thought she did a tremendous job. Mm -hmm. Now, I was kind of familiar with her work from um, the first Assassin's Creed game I had played was Assassin's Creed Origins, which was ancient Egypt based. And her score for that was just beautiful. And it incorporated a lot of Egyptian cultural elements into the score. She did the same thing with the next Assassin's Creed game, Valhalla, which I guess is how the director, Dan Trachtenberg, found out about her. So he was playing that game. He's like, who did the music for this? This sounds great. Like, are they available? She also did the score for Modern Warfare 2019, which I thought was was a fantastic score as well. So I was very much familiar with her from her video game work. And once I had made that connection, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Because as much as I love the Sylvestri sound, it has been done, like it has been adapted a lot from Predator 2 to Predators to The Predator. I feel like each composer did their own unique spin with it, but it was a bit too samey. Now, the first time I, had, I saw this movie in the theaters, I thought there were no hints of Sylvester, but they are there. The Predator theme is actually in the movie. It's just very subtle and cleverly done with the strings. And again, there's a bit of it during the, the climax of the film as well. So I think she pays homage to Sylvester 
poetry in a really effective way, but she also does her own thing with it. This is the most unique out of any of the Predator scores. I love the use of strings. I know she worked with a Native American musician, Robert Mirabal, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and he did some of the vocals for her as well. And so I feel like it incorporated some Native American cultural elements into the score also, but it was just so good. And I feel like it complemented what was happening on the screen so well. That moment where the predator lifts the bear up and the blood goes all over him and it has those really just intense notes as Nara is looking up at it. I just feel like that was such an effective part of of what made this movie work well. And I hope we get a vinyl. I hope we get a predator blood vinyl and all that. It would be cool to have that and have a physical CD. We have not had yeah. confirmation of that yet. It's all digital. But it's out on music platforms online, you know, Spotify. You, you can listen to it. And I have listened to it on its own. And I feel like some scores work better when you're watching with the movie and others you can enjoy on its own. This is very much one that's both. Like you can really enjoy listening to it on its own. I got a new appreciation for it listening to it by itself. But it also works very well in the context of what's happening on screen. Yeah. I, I agree with you guys. The, the score is one of the highlights of the movie, actually. I haven't had the time to listen to all of it, but I did listen on its own to the track called Flesh and Bone, I think. That was great. This is a great continuation of the Sylvester thing. It's got similar vibes, you know, similar kind of flavor, but it, it's its own thing. And I really liked it in the movie. And the, the track I listened to was great on its own too. So I look forward to new scores by this composer. I think it was absolutely baller to do what they did. This is easily the most musically unique film other than the original Predator. Obviously, because the, the original Predator is the one that sets up the vibe. Everything else continued it or referenced it, which never bothered me because that continuation from one to two, as much as two did do its own things as well with some of the, the tribal drum stuff and the sort of stuff that leaned into the kind of Jamaican-y kind of stuff, there was still like this through musical through line where it felt like a series theme, series identity rather than specific to one or the other. The Predator had some unique stuff to it in there that I like, but it's not as good as as kind of like the original stuff. This one just stands apart from all of the others completely. And I think it sort of goes towards the way this is called Prey rather than, you know, Predator, comma, ancient Comanche devil kind of thing. And Can and I it- just say, I st- having watched this, I still would have preferred it being called Predator Skulls. I agree with that only because I like Predator, Predator 2, Predator Skulls. You know, but there's only one skull in the movie. That's the head of word Predator. <laughs> you know, I think the title, but I understand why they called it Prey, and it's a great decision, I think. So just ha- giving it that identity on its own, apart from the other things, you know, the music plays a large part in that as well. And it's fucking brilliant. I absolutely love the tone and the melodies and these, like some of the, the Comanche instruments that's brought into it. But the way she incorporates that Sylvester theme into the music as well. So fun fact aside here for the for the, the premiere. So Dan Trachtenberg's there. He gets on the stage with Dan um with Amber and they give a little intro and Jane as well, the producer was there and they give a little intro and they explain the film and the lights go down and the film starts. And I look I look next to me because I sent some movement and an empty chair that was next to me is now 
there's somebody in there. And I was like, is that Dan? That looks like Dan. So I'm fairly convinced throughout most of this film that the director sat next to me watching it with me. So I stayed to the very end because he was still there and I just wanted to see him with the lights up to see if it was him. It was him, by the way. I sat, I, I watched the film next to the director. But as I was sat there watching the credits roll by and it gets to the stuff about the score and it says original Predator theme by Alan Silvestri. And I was like, I don't remember hearing any of the original music in this. And then when the soundtrack comes out and I love listening into the soundtracks in isolation after the fact is when I can really appreciate them and Adam pointed it out at one point in the timeline of I think it's Predator Instinct it's like the title music of the film it's like you can hear it at a minute and such and such and then I picked up on it and then I can hear it a lot earlier in the thing as well and it's brilliant because she has the da 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 Da, 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 in the strings and it's done in a different timing you know it's not da, 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 da. it's you know da, da. different tempo yes tempo that's the word i'm fucking looking for oh that's great what what track is that predator instinct and it's it's these really haunting string versions of that of just that you know it's not it's nothing else it is just that melody of da 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 and it's fucking brilliant. It's hidden in there so bloody well. And she uses it so well. And that title track, you know, Adam, you were saying about the pan up to the title as the ship's coming down. It just sets the tone for the film. It is brilliantly haunting. And that's carried out through a lot of the Predator related stuff. Whereas the Naru stuff's very sort of tribal. It's very Native American in tone. And it's beautiful. There's some beautiful melodies in there. I really enjoy this. And I've listened to the soundtrack so many times over the weekend since it's just come out. You know, as of recording, it's only been available to download like four days. And I've just beasted through it several times. It is easily, I think, one of my favorite of the entire and you never know, when you sat down, it, it might have been Dan thinking, holy shit, I'm sitting next to Aaron Percival from AVP Galaxy. <laughs> really hope he likes this. <laughs> Fun fact, at the end, so I did wait to the end because some of the other journos were there and they collared him on the way out. So I just hung around after afterwards and waited for them to be done. I didn't want to barge in. You know, I may be the public face of the website, but I'm actually not a social butterfly. I am very antisocial and very introverted and shy in person. So... Uh, <laughs> it was very panic-inducing, waiting, uh, you know, stood to the side waiting for the opportunity to maybe have the balls to say hello to him. But when everybody pissed off and he turned and saw me, I sort of I held my hand out and he went, AVP Galaxy, right? And I was like, pleasure to meet you, Dan. That was fucking brilliant. In terms of the mute, the one thing it does really well is tension. And I said from day one when we heard about this and we had our roundtable discussion, I said this director, Trachtenberg, after seeing what he does in Cloverfield Lane, the one thing I really hope he does well, and I can see he does well, especially with a female-led sci-fi film, tension. And if he can nail that, he's got it. And especially with the music, the music does tension so well. But the one thing this has in spades is tension. And I think it, it's proved what we said at the time. Bring tension back into a Predator film. That is the magical ingredient for a Predator film, tension. But the music serves the tension so well. We say about music, well, you're not going to miss Solvestri. But I mean, it's like with the Star Wars projects. Some of them don't have John Williams. But when they go back to John Williams hiring him again, you have the old magic back. I would have loved to see what Sylvester did with this, but I am. This is the first time since Predator Two that I've heard music in a film. I've gone. I love that music. I want that soundtrack, and I haven't had that feel. Like that doesn't mean see the music for the other sequels has been bad. 
It's just I haven't had that. This feels as good as Sylvestri. So I would have liked to see what Sylvestri would have contributed. But having heard what we had in this, I'm not the least bit disappointed. It reminded me a lot of what Hans Zimmer did with Pearl Harbor, when a lot of his stuff here, you can tell he brings in a lot of Japanese instruments and Japanese musical rhythms and stuff. And it worked. Even the scenes that didn't necessarily have stuff that was to do with Japanese, but when you just see you have the Japanese planes going overhead and you just have this Japanese rhythm, it works really well. And this has that kind of logic, but through the whole thing. And it's, as you say, it's on a par with Sylvestri. And that's not something I say lightly. It's definitely great. And I'm glad you got a little premiere experience too, Aaron, because you were saying you had thought it was just going to be a little press screening like you got for the last one for The Predator. So I'm glad you got a little bit of the fanfare with, with yours because ours ours was a great experience as well. And Dan seemed like a super, super awesome guy. And, and it was cool to meet Dane as well. Like those guys were all just great and friendly. And we very much appreciate, you know, being invited to those events because it was super cool to to be a part of that. It was fucking hard work to get a part of that. Yeah. Goddamn Disney do not want to talk to me. <laughs> Shall we talk about the finale and then sort of wrap up? Before we get to that, I want a brief mention of the Predator ship dropping off Feral. Because it's only a very quick shot. You see the door of the ship open and it's actually a little like you see the orange lights inside. And so it, it kind of gave me a little bit of that Predator 2 vibe. And I was like, oh, I want to see the ship. I want to see inside the ship. But it just flies off quickly. You only see it from behind. But the door closes. So I guess it's implied that they had just dropped Feral off for his little hunting trip. But it was a very cool shot to go from the inside of the, the teepee scene to we're up in the mountains now and you just see the ship swoop in overhead. The door closes and it just veers off and, and cloaks as it does. And then you see Farrell stand up and cloak himself right as he's standing up. It reminded me a lot of the start of the AVP 2010 campaign and the Predator campaign where you have a similar sort. It's not the same shot for shot, but it had a similar vibe to that. Yeah, he comes down in his um, in his drop pod and then you get the hero rise into frame kind of thing. With the cloaking. With the cloak. But it was cool in that, I mean, Dan was obviously following the same structure of the original Predator, you know, where it was revealed in certain stages. And a lot of the early stuff of Feral is him cloaked and they still keep that sort of design a mystery uh, throughout the film, which I liked. So I liked that early stuff, that early money shots of him from behind or him cloaked and stuff like that. It worked. It worked really well. Right. So shall we talk that finale then? Because I feel like this is the last major element of the film. Does anybody want to lead this off or uh, shall I do it? I thought it was effective as a final fight. I know some have said it it went on for a bit, but I do feel that she Boy Scouted it just like Dutch did. You know, she set traps up. She took the mask so she knew it would pursue her. And then she was previously familiar with this bog that she had fallen into. So she wanted to, to get it stuck in this bog. But it was also kind of cool to see it open up from her just attacking it from the trees, jumping right on it and just hacking him up with her tomahawk. There were a few moments where it was like, why don't you just kill her already? When like it seemed like the Predator had her. But at the same time, I feel like the Predator was that injured and pissed off at that point that it kind of wanted to savor it and kill her slowly, you know, and humiliate her. And that's always the Predator's weakness, right? Is its arrogance. And so I could kind of Uh buy that a little bit. But it, it was very dynamic in the sense of there's a lot of different crazy things that happen. Like he's about to behead her with his shield, but she backs up into these rocks and it stops the shield from fully extending. 
And then she just cracks off one of his mandibles and stabs him with it. I thought that was a really cool bit. My one issue with it was kind of the same one you did, Aaron, where it seems like he wasn't quite aware of how his targeting system worked (laughs) with his spear gun. Because when his mask was taken off earlier, and this is how she knows it works this way, Tabe was shooting arrows at him from horseback, and he was trying to shoot him with the spear gun. And I had assumed the Predator thought like, well, the, the spear will hit its target before it goes into tracking mode or whatever. But no, it was going into, into tracking mode pretty immediately. No, no, he did. He did dodge it. He was actually that good of a horse rider. He did dodge out of the way. It went past it. Mm. It was only after that that it started. Yeah. So initially, I had a bigger problem with this whole end sequence and how it was all came to be. But on my second viewing, I noticed it's exactly as Eric says. There is forward momentum and forward trajectory of the bolt before the auto-targeting kicks in. So, you know, Tabe is dodging. He's shooting, it gets a straight line, Tabe dodges, and then it goes off and does its thing. So I've actually really softened towards that aspect of the ending now, having noticed this detail that is established earlier. Well, I kept an eye out to see if she dodges it at the end. and it She does. It doesn't look like it's too much of a movement, but it is a dark scene too, so I'm not sure. But Yeah, looked- the darkness, I, th- I think, has led to some confusion out there. I think it could have been handled better, though. I feel like they should have yeah. been... I don't know how they would telegraph it, but something like he tries to turn it into manual mode and the helmet overrides because it's there and he doesn't know it's there or something along those lines, or show like the the helmet overriding it earlier so it's set up further. I mean, obviously, he doesn't know the helmet's there, so you have to forgive him. You have to forgive him that moment. I just feel like from a, a visual point of view, perhaps they might have been able to have telegraphed something better. That's why I say the original Predator, the ending is more satisfying because it's like one thing leads to another, one's a contingency, the other thing, it's going to hit the Predator. This one, it felt a little too coincidental because if his head had just been a little bit out of the way, it wouldn't have worked. And I really like how the thing about the mountain lion and Tabe telling her, you know, you have to... Come and you have to confront your inner your enemy. And you have to say you have come this far. You will come no no further. It was really not poetically. That was really nice. I just felt the predator's head being the exact thing was a little too close. They could have done something else. So the the original predator ending was better in that respect. But once you understand what's going on, yeah, you can buy it. It's because it's a darker scene. It's not like the original. There was firelight, so it was more illuminated. And it would have been nice to see some kind of telegraphing going on. But again, it's one of these things where you start to talk it over and you're just thinking, well, how could they have telegraphed it? The other thing that came to mind was you saw her take one of those. It wasn't wasn't quite explained what happened, but those circular cutting things she found embedded in Rudolph's leg and she took it out. And it was like she was trying to figure out how it worked. And I thought that was going to come into play, but you literally never see it again. She does use it, doesn't she? I don't remember she... Oh, no, she opens it out to be a sword when she hits that guy over the head or something. No, because that's before. I don't know. No, that's after. That's after. I was thinking she attacked him with it. 
Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it gets used in the final fight, but I, I can't. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't come to mind. But it was an interesting way of, of seeing the harpoon used in that way. And once you understand, it's you see the harpoon raise up and then the laser comes on. Because the first time I saw it, I thought to myself, oh, it kind of works, but how did she know how to turn the laser on? It's not. She literally just wedged the helmet in there and it turns on. It's the Predator signing its own death warrant without realising it. But yeah, little bit coincidental there. Something else would have been more satisfying, but I got no problems with it. It was okay. I just really liked how she used that line when she was, what she was going to face with the mountain. And it turned out that that was her, um, I forget what it's called, the, the Kutamaya. I forget Kutamaya, what it is, but there's a, there's a, yeah, That's there's a ritual they call it. I've looked it up. I can't find a, anything online about it. So I don't know if it's an actual ritual, but I liked how that, again, that played back into her personal journey. You had this kind of through line with her character arc. And I thought, oh, that feels right for Naru. This very much made it not just a, like a revenge tale. This made it like her fight she had to go through and she had to survive it or die trying. And it's like her mother said earlier on in the film that it's not about winning it. The purpose of it is to survive it. And when she comes back to the tribe, by the way, that, that village was not very big. It should have been hundreds of teepees, but that might have been a budget issue. But when she comes back and she's taken the head, whatever it is, she has earned everything up to that. It feels like she's earned it, as we've said. Yeah. The only thing I will say is it's not clear what they're doing with her at the end. They're honouring her somehow, but women couldn't become chief. So whatever was going on, that wasn't the similar thing. I think it was just brother. her... Her trial, her katamiya, the same yeah. as her brother, where she was being awarded for but with him, killing he was something. becoming the war chief. No, I think she when she said, "Do I need your permission, war chief?" She was being facetious. Well, that is how it happens in Comanche. It's not a hereditary title. It's who's done the biggest thing. They get to say, "I want to be chief. I'm chief." And he had up to that point, he'd killed the lion, so he was within his rights. So when she says "war chief," it makes me again. That's in his character background. He's gonna be in line for chief. But whatever it was, they gave her that stick, that pole that he had as well. That made me think, "Oh, are they trying to imply she's a chief?" But in Comanche, women couldn't be chief. I think that might just have been a movie liberty because that is exactly yeah. the way I read it. You know, Tabe became the chief and then she was given yeah. the exact same. In, so in uh, cultural things, because it's a Comanche producer as well of the movie, so I'm surprised that. But whatever it was, she they, she was being honoured in some way. But technically, she couldn't be chief. It would have been something else. So I really like the way that this was an inverse of Predator. Well, the whole point of Predator you know, is going back to basics. You know, it's the impotency of, of man's reliance on its firepower and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that had me rolling my eyes at some of the uninformed comments of, hey, how, how's a bow and arrow going to, you know, stop the predator kind of thing? It's like, did you even fucking watch the first film? Yeah. Um, because that is exactly the point of the first film. But I actually really like the inverse of this in that she then utilized, it's her intelligence utilizing the predator's own technology against it. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of inversion of, of the way they worked. I hadn't realized it until you've mentioned it. Yeah. But at the same time, again, it's all about the knowledge and the skills that she's developed over the course of the film. 
she sees the predator jumping about on those burnt out trees and stuff like that. So she sets up a trap inside one of the trees. I, I love that. They use the predator using the trees as against it. And yeah. Tarbe tells her, I took the lion out because of your plan. You know, so as part of the trap, she uses some of the, that same strategy you know, getting up in the tree. Using the bait and even using his leg. You don't realise yes. it, but she's actually using his leg as a... So this this is why I really love this film on a technical level. So Because it is so well constructed and the way it all just comes together is, is fucking brilliant. And even some of the stuff Naru does, like in that part where the predator, she's set, thanks, setting that final trap. She knows the predator's coming. She can hear it clicking, but it just comes up here. And you have that nice, I know it's small, but it's these nice little things that they do where she just looks there. You see her foot just gracefully step aside. And it's like that Bruce Lee thing of you don't have to do things with force. Sometimes it's the little things. And it passes her by. And it was like, it was giving emphasis to what she had just seen. I'm not seen as, it's not noticing me. I'm just stepping aside. And it was very Native American, that, in their sort of philosophy. So I was about to say, like, the entirety of Aaron's comments. <laughs> so he ninjaed me. But I had to add a couple of things. Uh, when I was a youngster, and specifically shortly after joining you guys on Galaxy, I was writing my own AVP pitch. And there were two things. You know, I never let anyone read it. I deleted it, but I remember it. And this movie does two things that I had in mind back then that I really wanted to see. The first one happens in the midpoint of the movie where the Predator's helmet is taken out by force. This has never happened before in the movies. And in my pitch, it was an alien doing it with a close one. In this movie, it's the same thing, basically, but it's a guy with an axe, I think. One of the warriors, brother. Yeah, he has it with the predator's own spear. Yeah, and he's stabbed by his own spear. This guy takes a lot of punishment. That's another thing I like about him. He doesn't care about punishment. You know, he gets a spear to him, doesn't care. Again, it's very very much like City Hunter in a lot of ways because I don't think any of the other Predators takes as much as a punishment as a City Hunter does. I think City Hunter does because City Hunter gets a lot of fucking mm -hmm. punishment. So does Jungle Hunter because he gets a lot of explosions in the face and he gets an entire log on him and it's still alive, you know. Well, he's mortally wounded at that point. Yeah, he was mortally wounded. And City Hunter gets a lot of shit. <laughs> you know, he gets, I think, 12 rounds of the gun. And he gets up like a minute later. And he needs literally the fucking disc in his chest to be killed. You know, predators are far more durable than we think. And this guy is an exaggeration in that. So I like that. But, you know, the other thing I wanted, and I don't remember how I did that because it was so much time ago, but it was the Predator's helmet being used against him. Again, not something that's been done before, but it is a piece of Predator equipment being used against him. I would say it has, kind of. It was in no Nolan in Predators. He was using the Predator's mask to see where they were. It wasn't really used as a weapon, but he was using Predator Mark Where? in Predators. Lawrence Fishburne's character. He was using a Predator Mark. Oh, you mean the movie I don't remember at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that since 2014 or something like that. You know, it's been a long time. That's a boring movie. We need to be selective about the people we have on these fucking podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do a vet, vetting from now on. Said so the fan. 
of the movie where three predators do a worse job than one. Hey, that is my main <laughs> criticism of that film. It should be a single predator. I agree with that. Again, I'm being, you know, I mean, facetious. I know. It's just not a movie I tend to go back to because, you know, Predator 2 exists. So, you know, I have no reason to go. There are a lot of people, actually, that consider Predators higher than Predator 2, or at least mm. them together. So when this movie came out, I looked at a couple of recent Predator films ranked from different websites, and Predators, a few of them had it above Predator 2. Eesh. I'm not going to comment on that. This podcast is not about that. But what I liked about, you know, the finale, I think it was, again, too coincidental. I agree with that. This is, again, a warm opinion. You know, just watch the movie. I would have done something more drawn out the way the duels in the in the other movies were. But what I find interesting is Naru was so fucking precise, you know? Like, she's a born killer. And she bests the predator at his own game in a relatively quick way. And by chance, too, because you guys mentioned, you know, the arrow thing going precisely into that. And that's chance. And I think she's surprised, too, that it worked. Because there's a moment where she looks surprised and then she, like, screams, you know, in in victory. I like that. But the thing I like the most about this finale is that it's the predator this time that gets into the mud. <laughs> yes. The term humiliation comes from humus. Humus is Latin, means dirt. So when you cover yourself in mud, you are humiliating yourself in a way. That's what Dutch does. This girl, she gets the predator into the mud. She humiliates the predator. That's what happens in the final fight. She humiliates him. I also have to say, I like the moment a lot where she's about to strike him with the combi stick and he somehow retracts it. And she's like, oh shit. Yeah, I like that. I like that she didn't expect it. Again, it was very well balanced. Both opponents didn't know everything about each other. So there was a surprise for both of them. And I also liked when, you know, the sh- I liked the shield, the kind of popping up shield. They're a very predator thing to do. And I liked how he pushes the shield towards a neck, you know, at a certain point. He has it locked. That reminded me of Jungle Hunter locking Dutch with the blades. And in that shot, if you guys remember, the blades are specifically, you know, wider than they usually are. And I feel like a similar thing was happening here. Like the predator was trying to do something there. Like it was testing the new prey because he was doing it slowly, you know, kind of enjoying it. And I think that's when she pulls his tooth off, is it? The fang? Yeah, when she's being pinned with a shield. Exactly. That's what I like. You know, he has her pinned like uh, Clarice Bodica in Robocop. And then Robocop, bang, you know, stabs him with a, with a Robocop USB stabby thing. A similar thing happens here. Only she pulls the tooth out or fang or whatever and stabs him with it. That reminded me of the classic myth of Theseus. Because Theseus killed the Minotaur in Greek mythology by stabbing it with one of its own horns. So I don't know if the reference is intentional, but since we are talking about a mythological movie in a way, I feel like that's a very cool connection, intentional or not. So the finale gets a thumbs up for me, and that's not an easy thumbs up because I'm a monster man. Well, you say um, about Greek myths and that there was another kind of gladiatorial link, if you will, but again, it goes back to Predator 2. We saw the net gun again. It was a different type of net gun. It, was, it seemed to have something that constricted behind. 
it, it wasn't a gun. It was actually like a little capsule that he throws and it just envelops him, but he doesn't fire it. It's like a little device that he's holding and he throws it onto the guy. Oh, I thought he, th- he shot something. Okay. Yeah, it's the same thing as, you know, the, the kind of floating things. Yeah. And it just kind of did it like you got an egg and you're just squishing it and there was nothing there. It was nothing left. Was definitely a nod to Predator 2. Like in Predator 2, we see the net gun being used against one of the Jamaican drug dealers, but we never see the end result. This movie shows it. Like, phoom. It was brilliant. Great. Too. And what I liked, and, and this is a note, but Predator movies, you know, the ones I like the most, they are very violent, but the violence is never too drawn out. And this movie respects that. Uh-huh. The movie could have shown the guy being completely destroyed in a Hellraiser kind of way. It didn't. That's a classy move, I think. The movie is very gory, but never, ever focuses too much on the gore. That's a classy move, and that's a very Predator movie thing. To yeah, there, there was some, like, there was, um, like, when the Native Americans, they had that first fight against it, and the one, I think, the one right at the end, he takes a hold of him by the head, and he's clearly about to decapitate, and you don't see the actual decapitation, or you might do for a split second, but he clearly takes his head, but it's mostly just, like, blood spraying or something. You don't see the full-on severing of the head kind of thing. It- some things were more tasteful than others. I mean, you did see limbs getting cut off. and but, I mean, again, like you're going through the, that shot when they're going through the Jurassic Park type shot where you see this. The camera's looking down and it doesn't catch up to Naru, but it catches up to the guy she's running with. And you just see in the distance this fountain of blood coming up. But it felt like, yeah, that's what a predator can do. And then you next see it running, it's... In blood, it's like in um, Hollow Man, where you see the Invisible Man and he's covered in blood. It's, it is a very similar thing. Again, it goes back to the bear shot again. Some shots were more tasteful than others, but it is definitely not something which holds back from the violence. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's holding back. It just feels like it. It's not exploitative either. I feel like yeah, Predator Two yeah. pushed that a little more into the exploitative, as did APPR. And honestly, I do kind of enjoy that sometimes. But for the vibe this movie was going for, I felt like it handled the gore in a violence that it was brutal and satisfying way. Like it didn't feel like it was pulling punches. At the same time, it wasn't overdoing it. It struck the right balance. Yeah. And as far as the weaponry goes, I also really did like his hand spear gun. You know. We haven't really seen the spear gun in the movies before. We saw a spear fired in Predator 2, but we never see how it's fired. And this is a weapon that's been in a lot of the expanded media, that's been in the video games, that's been in the comics, and sometimes it's been a handheld device like this. So it was cool to see a spear pistol and have it connected to his targeting. Like, I really did enjoy that as his primary weapon. And that was the thing that we thought was a sword mounted on his back, was that spear gun. And it changed up because we saw the familiar triangular laser designator, but it used it. It kind of like it, it got the yeah, target when and the lasers split, split apart. Yeah, that was like that a was huh, moment in the movie theater yeah. where the audience was like, whoa, what's this? Because it was something we hadn't seen before, seeing the lasers just split like that. But it had a purpose. So you could tell that it's not just loading one harpoon. It can fire three of them simultaneously. But it was using that thing like, I'm going to go through the eye and through this and that and the other. It was, it was very interestingly done. They were subverting 
particularly brutal as well. And I like that moment. And then when 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 he walks over and yanks one of them out, I was like, damn, yes. Well, did you notice in that same scene they combined a homage to two Predator scenes? It was like the possums wander out and you're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, Blaine's death. And then they have the thing where in the original where they're hiding and then Dutch decides to get out. And then, of course, the Predator gets netted. And in this one, one of them gets out, but the Predator is going to get him this time. There were these little homages, but it wasn't like in AVP where you see like a blatant like nodding bird thing. The homages were done right. They they were there, and I think they were very well handled. They didn't distract. There's only the one, and it looks like Dakota Beaver hated saying it as much as I hated hearing it. Bleeds, kill it. Yeah. Yeah, I hated that. I didn't get that. I mean, hopefully we have the opportunity to ask him, but no, I thought that was a great callback. I thought it was handled really well. It felt natural. From what they were talking about, if they could kill it, like they never mentioned him being bled. No, if I remember rightly, it was. I no. thought she said I saw it bleed because Raphael showed her the blood, and she had seen the oh, I mean, blood dripping okay. from the bear's mouth as well. Yeah, true. I think if they'd have maybe changed the line up, they'd have done something like maybe if she says it bleeds, and then he might have said we can kill it. Something like that. As it was, it was too much of a carbon copy. I don't know. There was an applause line in the theater for that. I thought it was I thought it was good. I will never like reused dialogue. I'm just thankful it wasn't get to the abundant. Well, God. There was a bit at the end too where she's like, come on, do it. I didn't mind that. That was well done. That felt like, yeah, she's doing what Dutch did, but she's got a reason for saying it. Come on, come and get me. I didn't mind that. Yeah, I mean... I definitely would have liked an anachronistic chopper and her screaming, get to the chopper, you know, <laughs> a French chopper or something. <laughs> no. I, I was waiting for it Troll. because of the tomahawk that she had with the um, lasso. And I like the other Native American character just sort of like holding it because it's built up to be the, like this nifty little weapon. And he just holds it and says, yeah. you need a leash for your weapon. Like he's mocking her for it. That was yeah. a nice But little... there was a logical reason why she developed that because she was sick of having to walk over and pick it up every time she missed the rabbit. And, and I think Dan also was saying he was inspired by God of War with, with that weapon as well. You know, how Kratos has the blades that he swings around on the chains. And so I thought it was a really, really cool use of, of the tomahawk as a weapon in the film to have it uh-huh. attached to the rope. Yeah, I thought that was cool as well. And it was nice to see, as I think Aaron pointed out earlier, that you do see, you know, she knows how to use it, but when she actually uses it in the field, she's missing the target. She's not successfully killing things. It shows that she's like her brother has got all this amazing she's he's like a Native American Legolas, but she's not quite there yet. And it takes that journey for her to be up to like she's not instantly got ninja skills. She can kill, but she's not yet at that level yet. And I think she mm-hmm. off screen she kills some rabbits or something, but it's nice to see she's not a Mary Sue. She does have mistakes. She does fall down. Even the thing that a lot of fans were criticizing from the trailer, she's they all saying, Oh, she's hunting a bear. No, it's not what's happened. She sees there's a bear there. She sees it's sniffing. So she's like drawing the bow as a contingency. What happens is the bow breaks and it fires at the she doesn't mean to fire at the bear. She's just doing like oh wait, wait, wait. And it breaks and it that's the instigating thing. It's not she's going after a bear single-handed. And that's another great technical aspect of the film as well, because it calls back to the story that her brother was telling her early on in the film. So I really, really liked what Dan and Patrick did with the script in this one. It was great.
I want to say thank you to ADI because this was their last movie and I'm kind of still wrapping up around it that, you know, we're never going to see ADI anymore. I hope we get, you know, Studio Gillis stuff. I feel like Alec will kind of kind of continue on. Uh-huh. I honestly don't think it'll feel like too much of a, of a change. It just seems like they, they kind of want to go in yeah. different directions with their artistic priorities. It's my understanding that Tom wants to get more into directing. You know, amalgamated dynamics, no more. Hey, kind of, it feels like the end of an era, yeah. as I said before. It, it symbolically, yeah. I do like the Studio Gillis logo that he has, though, with the OG. Yeah, exactly. You know, the OG Tremors team. You know, I feel like this, as a bow-out performance, was great. And, you know, I hope we see more of Michael Vincent's designs, because he's a brilliant artist. Yeah, and I've I've always been a, a fan of their work as well. But I I think Gillis will carry it on with new art teams. I don't think we'll have to worry too much on that front, uh, if I'm being honest. But I will say again, I just want to reiterate that it feels so good to have a movie that has been received like this. And I think this will do a lot of good for the franchise beyond just this film. I think this will do good for expanded media. I mean, we already have a really good month for Predator now, right? We have the start of the Marvel comics this week. We have a new anthology book. Hopefully at the end of the month, we'll see something more from Ilphonic. No. I'm not hoping <laughs> too, too much on that. It's a shame that they're not taking advantage of all the excitement around this movie because I feel that it's just a misopportunity. Well, there's only so much that one intern can do, Adam. Come on. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a good time to be a Predator fan, though. And I hope this movie continues that because there's more stories to be told. And I feel like this movie was very much a, a good proof of concept for how versatile the, mm-hmm. the concept is with Predator. Just on the same lines as that, I think this film is an embodiment of those cool dark horse stories that demonstrated that predator can be more than contemporary and this is that film you know this is dan taking aspects of dark horse and proving their comics will work on the screen yeah it's very much a a revival of the fandom but it takes what works outside of it being a predator film it's kind of it's weird to think of it in terms of this is a film which very much showcases talent of first nation actors producers all that and they put it in um, a science fiction horror (laughs) it's kind of a weird ironic thing but everyone involved in this i think they can be rightly proud of regardless of it being a predator film it's a damn good film and i'm also really thankful that we've got one set back in time because this is a showcase it proves that it forces the writers to be inventive in ways they might not otherwise do if there's characters holding around guns and stuff they might not have done it in this way and uh, they've used the period and setting to its strengths yeah this is going to be a classic i feel it's a modern day classic yeah Yeah. and uh, and this i just remembered because i wanted to say it before but let's remember girls also like the franchise so we finally have the girl winning against the predator i think that we're going to get a lot of more more enthusiasm on twitter i'm already saying you know a lot of very cool very cute or very awesome fun art of the main character with people saying oh i am obsessed with her and this is so good this is so good because we've had Dutch, cool. We had Harrigan, very fucking cool. Predator 2, fuck yeah, I always say. Naru, great. Fantastic. New protagonist for the Predator movies. I loved her character. I loved the arc. And I feel like it's a good thing to have a girl kill the Predator. 
Yeah, I, I very much appreciate This has never been about man versus predator. This has been about humanity versus predator. It doesn't matter. The whole point of the first film was you can be built like Arnold. Don't let yes. it get near you. And this is not a precedent. We had, even in comic form, we had Machiko literally having a, a fist yes. fight with a predator, and it was narrated. <laughs> she said, if I let it get close, I'm dead. I have to use its weight, its inertia against it, blah, blah, blah. This is nothing new, but it's nice to see it. Not nice to see it in live action form, but it's nice to see it in live action form done right. And it's with a yeah. character that it was completely believable, having that force of will she was mentally, she was very much Dutch. It wasn't his ethnicity, wasn't his age, wasn't his sex, but she's just as worthy of it as any of the other characters, and it's it's nice to see. Well, I had wanted this for a long time just to switch things up, and I've mentioned it before this movie too, like a Predator film with a female protagonist just to switch up the formula. It's the same with Alien, because Alien has that formula on the opposite. So it's like, give us a male lead for Alien just to switch it up. But beyond that, I feel like the representation in the First Nations cast here was really well done and greatly handled. And I feel like it's it's going to be a positive force in, in media in that regard. But just as a fan, again, I, I have nothing but praise and thanks for those who worked on this movie because it was fantastic. We're all pleased with it. We're all happy with it. And we hope to see more. And it's also a testament that what it's like with Terminator films and Alien films, someone there gets to a point in the fandom where people say, this film killed the franchise. They can never make a good one again. And then something like this comes along and it just, so you just need the right ingredients. You can make a good film. Nothing kills a franchise. Yeah. It was like the alien isolation after Colonial yeah. Marines was, yeah. was kind of like this after the Predator. Yeah. And I, I really hope this does open the avenue to more stuff. You know, I hope this prompts Titan to do more books. I hope this means that Disney will be willing to do more streaming releases. You know, I say I missed it coming out on film, but I'm happy for them to explore streaming releases, whether that's things like some animated stuff. A, a subsect of fans were disappointed that The Predator didn't survive the film, and I don't feel like these kind of... The mainstream series is a place for it, but streaming animated things is probably a place to explore that kind of thing. An anthology show would be really good for that, where you wouldn't mm. know in one episode, does the Predator win? And in another episode, they could do different yeah. time periods in an anthology show. So something like Star Wars Visions, I guess. I just hope that the success that the film is seeing will prompt Disney to be like, oh, okay, you know, there is legs in this. It is not all downhill. And let's um, let's see what we can do with it. And it is cool to just be able to watch it as many times as I want right off the bat. But I did really enjoy seeing it in theaters. And I know you did too, Aaron. It was cool to have that opportunity. So I wish it would have been more of a hybrid release that we sometimes see with HBO Max, where you can choose which way you want to watch it at home or in the theaters. I, I feel that that's the most ideal. And hopefully they can do a Fathom Events type of thing in the near future where fans can see it that way if they would like to. And there's already been plenty of limited showings as well. You know, there's been stuff in um, Australia have been organizing things. In Los Angeles, yeah. And you had the Comanche and the um, normal dub shown in LA, yeah. Still no sign of a physical release, unfortunately. Yeah, I really hope we see one because it, it deserves to be on the shelf alongside those other Predator movies for sure. Hopefully they do that. It's probably still a little bit too early to know about that kind of thing anyway since, you know, film's only been out four days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I I agree with you. I'm very much hopeful for something to go and sit on that shelf with the other films as well. And I would be interested to see 
It sounds like a catchphrase, but the further adventures of Nauru. So long as they come up to this standard, it'd be interesting to see where a character like that goes knowing what she knows. It would Mm -hmm. be, yeah, there's a whole world now. On the flip side of that, I'm also okay with them leaving it to our imaginations. Yep. But I I would very much like to see Dan back. I would quite happily see Dan take the place of... Assume the throne that Ridley Scott has assumed for Alien, but Dan take it for, um, you know, Predator as the guiding hand. I know Dane had mentioned the samurai idea, and that's been brought up before mm-hmm. as well. And I think that would make for, for a great period piece. I mean, you could continue it with Naru. I mean, there's been a number of times where we had planned sequels to the previous films and it never panned out. And maybe that's to the film's strength that they're all very individualized. But if we don't get a sequel with Naru, I would at least like to see a book telling the story of how the Flintlock gets to, to Elder with her involved. You see, it still maintains a sense of mystery, even with this film. That last step of the journey is still, still up in the air. Uh, but yeah, do keep an eye out on the podcast as well, because we will be talking to Dan Trachtenberg. We will be talking to Dane Delegro. I feel like we have a couple of more. Or, we re- or we're reaching out to some other people yeah. shortly, should I say. But we do already have those two guys who have agreed to come on and chat to us. So keep an eye on us. We've got some interesting stuff coming up, especially if you like the film. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. Adam, horrors out. So thank you for watching if you made it this far or listening if you're listening on our podcast platforms. But you can check us out on our website, avpgalaxy.net, where we have all sorts of editorials and galleries and pieces we've worked on, as well as discussion boards, our forum where you can communicate with other fans if you're new to this franchise. And hopefully we have a lot of new listeners with how well this movie's been received. But we're also on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you search AVP Galaxy or Alien versus Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. Aaron, if anyone would like to follow you personally, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. And that's as well as Alien and Predator. That's uh, my musings and random bullshit on other things that I'm interested in. You know, sci-fi, uh, Halo, Stargate and other various hobbies. And if you'd like to follow me personally, it's at Ridgetop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. Eric, I know you're on Twitter, but you don't like your socials hoard yeah, out. Yeah, if, if you want to follow me, you're not going to. David, you have <laughs> your excellent Monster Legacy blog. Where can people find that? The Monster Philology website. It's becoming a team, so it's not my website anymore. It's our website, you know, the Bugs Bunny meme. And we are on MonsterLegacy.net. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening or watching, depending on your choice of outlet. And, of course, if you've come to this not being knowing much about the Expanded Universe, we do have a video on the YouTube channel or an article on the website that sort of goes over the old version of uh, Raphael Adelini's Pistol. So be sure to go and check that out. This has been Corporal Hicks. Ridgetop. Xenomorphine. Omega Morph. Get into the chopper. <laughs>